Our games of the generation. And yours. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast, where we sometimes improvise. Uh, Saul, I'm joined by you as always. <laughs> throwing out the, you know, we, we are improvising. This we got we got to switch stuff up. So, and I'm joined by Brett. This is Lucky Episode 189. Thank you. About dang time, and about it's about dang time. time we talked about our games of the generation, which we will get to later on in the episode, as well as where you can find us, and as well as some cool stuff we have sitting on the table. You guys know we have a new partner, so we'll get to that here in a little bit as well. Dude, but we'll start. Someone's off. going to be pissed when they listen to this like months from now, and Cyberpunk's been out, and they're like, "Cyberpunk is game." Yeah, of the Cyberpunk's not out, so I, don't, I honestly don't think with how how early it's coming out, I don't think it's it could be contending worthy. Like, for me, personally. Well, there's a difference between Game of the Year and Game of the Generation, but I think that there has to be a cap on when a generation goes, and I think most people tend to agree that it's... I, I would definitely be interested to see if it's otherwise, but I think most people would tend to agree that when the new console comes out, it's like that generation's behind. It doesn't mean that that generation won't still get some games. Like, you know, we know that God of War 2 came out after the PS3 was already out, and... In retrospect, maybe you can look at it that way, but I think that typically you want to cap the gen off when the new one comes in. Something like that, at least like a month after, I think is about the capping time. Which is about, you know, we're we're getting close we're not, to we're that. About a month after, because like what was it, the twelfth, and we're like yeah. ten days out. Yeah, no, we're not. We're not in December quite yet. Yeah, not not quite yet. But so by the time this is about out, two weeks out, real close. Yeah, and I don't think that two weeks is worth to be able to judge a game for a generation award. Anyways, game of the year award, maybe sure, depending on how much free time I have. But that's definitely. Like I still argue with myself with my current answers, but um, what <laughs> yeah. have you been playing this week? Um, a bunch, actually. So I got the Platinum and a bunch of stuff. I think Miles Morales I'd had last time. Since then, I've gotten the Platinum and Spider-Man Remastered. Though, if I'm being honest, I just used... I, I pulled my save in because they brought that forward, and it, it popped all the trophies. I was told that by Chris and just tried it out, and it totally worked. Then I moved on. And was like, okay, I'm going to try and get some Platinums that I'm close to. And I went through my list and thought, I'm very close to Platinum in No Man's Sky. But what is it that you got to do? So I decided to, I won't say cheat, but I decided to make it easier on myself by going and putting my disc in, which automatically installed version 1.0, which has the ability to more easily get one trophy in particular. And that, well, two trophies, but I already had one. The trophies that it makes easier are surviving 32 days because at launch of the game, even though there was radiation and stuff, the trophy was just set to where all you had to do was survive 32 days. Mm -hmm. Whenever they updated it for version 1.03, like a month or so in, they changed it to where you had to survive for 32 days in extreme climates and you couldn't be inside of buildings or anything. So I got, I've already had that one, but the one that it helped me get was discover 80 animals or 60, one of those two. But what happens with version 1.0 is that you just have to find 80 animals. Whenever they updated it, you have to find 10 different planets, every animal on that planet. So I didn't feel like doing that. I used version 1.0 until I got that trophy and then popped up and destroyed 80 starships or finished destroying 80 starships on the current update and then also warped 80 times. Big shout out to our listener and good friend Ryan. He hopped on middle, like not, pretty much middle of the night, to give me all the warp sales, so I could just spend the hour to two hours that it spent of just warping over and over again to get that platinum. Then I discovered that whenever you update your save and go through it to the PS5 version of No Man's Sky, it does the same thing. So I got two platinums for one. 
a lot like you did with sound shapes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that that that, that game deserved to get two platinums the way it did. Oh, how much work you put into it? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's that's probably my proudest platinum other than than Bloodborne. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you played? Uh, I've just played Destiny 2 on PC this week. I haven't really played much else. I haven't turned my PS4 on for almost two weeks at this point. Actually, I think it is about two weeks. Um, I've just been playing Destiny, and we did the raid last week. That was pretty fun. Did uh, you fail? No. Oh, okay. We, we, I, at we, one point in time, I saw in the Discord, different Discord for the one that y'all have for the clan, that it looked like y'all tried and failed or someone tried and failed. Um... No, like it wasn't part of our group at least. We did it all the way through. Granted, I was under leveled, and we actually had two brand new guys join uh, with us, and it was pretty fun. And I died a lot because I was probably the, the lowest level person there. And the ending of that, the ending of it, it was like, like you're supposed to be like twelve fifty, I think, by the ending. And we were doing it in trial uh, or challenge mode, and in trial mode, they disable your artifact. What is challenge mode? Challenge mode is so now that they have the race for worlds first be a thing. They don't want streamers to be the only part of that, so they put in challenge mode. So your artifact doesn't count. Your perks from your artifact doesn't count. Your artifact, if you, I don't know if you've played since this, but your artifact actually gives you bonus levels. So as you level up your artifact, you can actually be twelve thirteen. But if your artifact gives you seven levels, you're twelve twenty, and your actual light level is twelve twenty, but your okay. base is twelve thirteen. Gotcha. Um, and it was actually a lot harder. I think we're trying again tonight at five. Um, if we can get it done quickly, that'll be good. If not, I'm going to dip out because I got to reset my sleep schedule. My sleep schedule is gone. <laughs> it only takes me a day or two to reset it. But like today I woke up at seven and that's the latest I've slept in in a long time. Yeah. I'm waking up at seven with where you work and your schedule. I normally wake up at five. You get fired for quick. context. Um, but you probably, uh, yeah, I don't know. We have people that show up at 7 o'clock pretty normally, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately for them, and they're not fired. Yeah. Um, but I guess we should get into the meat and potatoes. Because... There was one other game that I played, just to throw oh. it out there, because it's really good. I'm not going to say too terribly much about it, but I did start Sackboy's Big Adventure last yeah, night. Yeah, that's right. You did tell me that on, Thanksgiving, or on Friendsgiving. I, yeah, I bought it, but I hadn't started it yet. Um, but I started it last night. After some deliberation, I was going to try and play something in between it, which is still probably going to happen because I wanted it to be platinum number 100. And right now I'm at 98. You want Sackboy to be platinum 100. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to see if there's something else. But I looked through every game I owned and every game that was on sale and get nothing immediately platinum. stood out. Get, I might do Bloodborne. The, I'm telling you right now. The if, way- I, if I didn't have to play through the entire game again, I guess I wish that Bloodborne had an uncapped frame rate. I'll get you, I'll get you Bloodborne platinum. Okay. I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk more about whatever that entails. Hey, but you know what? That'll be a good stream idea. Maybe like next Friday night, we the road to the Bloodborne Platinum, and it's me playing Bloodborne and us hanging out and eating pizzas. Hey, right. <laughs> We can probably make that work. If you're down for a last-minute stream, let us know. Listen, these plans never almost always work, but we always try. They're always good ideas. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we can go ahead and get into uh, the meat and potatoes of the episode. So, how do you want the Southern people say? How do you want to do this? Do you want to? Since we're oh, actually, I guess we should quickly talk about our sponsor for this. Well, episode. That's, that's what I was going to say is if we're going to do community's take as their answers, like as if we're going to do the community's top three game of the generations and yeah. give our thoughts on those, and then we can go into ours, and then we can supplement ours with answers that the game that the community has picked as well. I don't. I guess we didn't really talk about this beforehand. <laughs> so hey, we do it on the cuff here. We do. Speaking but, of doing it on the cuff, you stole my segue. Go ahead. 
I'm going to tell you a little story about our, uh, if you're watching, you, you know Mr. Sheriff Narwallington here. He's a sheriff by day, and then if you try and go into the water at night, guess what, boy? He's going to get you because he's also part of the uh, the Navy. But he's a sailor. He's a sailor. <laughs> he loves semen. Anyway, hey, this is, a, this is a podcast where we are adults talking about adult stuff. But I'm going to tell you something about him. My man right here, he keeps himself trimmed down there, smooth. So that all the other narwhals love him. Do you? And if you don't, I have to ask you, why? If you do, do you do it with great products like Manscaped's Lawnmower 3.0? Do you do it with great products keeping you fresh like the ball toner or the ball deodorant? Do you like fancy leather bags? Go get you the perfect package 3.0 and use code SQRD over on manscaped.com. One thing that I, I've been meaning to put in here, if you're in the UK and you think we're just kind of talking to a void for something that you don't have, Manscaped have recently launched over in uh, the UK. So if you want to give them a try and just get any little old thing and see and while supporting the show, please go over there and do that. Um, just, I feel good knowing that it's somebody, because we have a lot of listeners in the UK that yeah. everyone can benefit from. But like we said, we are so grateful for you guys for even allowing us. You know, we talked with the community before we chose whether to do this, and everybody was really open and thought that you know if we we're going to be supporting a product, that it's something that we would be backing and trust. So, thank you guys, appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. And if you have sensitive skin, check out a couple of their other products. Their cologne works really well for people like me who break out with most cologne products. I haven't broken out yet, and I've used it almost every single day, or at least every time I've gone out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, you know, the T-shirts are fantastic. The boxers are fantastic. There's not much more to say. I can't understate the boxers. They're really yeah, great. Yeah, the, the boxers are, like, yeah. legitimate. They're tagline, but I really do mean this here, for, definitely for the boxers. Your balls will thank you. Yeah, your balls will thank you. So head on over to manscaped.com and use discount code sqrd for 20 percent off your order and you get your shipping for free as well so that's right treat yourself treat yourself but let's get into this so we are going to go ahead and attack the the three that came from the, the top three so of course there's the crown winner here and saul do you want to go ahead and spoil what that is no who goes who does a countdown in reverse <laughs> me no <laughs> apparently now go ahead and do yeah do number three which was interesting because it was a tie it was a tie so number three among all so what we did i guess to preface this is we took all answers that we received from every one of you guys and we tallied them up and the games with the most votes of course is exactly what these are and the tie for number three was witcher three wild hunt and the last of us part two and honestly i'm kind of surprised because they only had a total of eight votes so eight people chose these games and they were getting close up there into the double digits mm -hmm. but um interestingly enough i was expecting more for the last of us part two and more for the witcher part three but we got some cooler answers instead i think so too what's interesting about that is that you th expected more for the last of us part two when i thought which i mean i may be misremembering something you had said who knows but I know that at one point in time we were talking about it and you thought, well, how many people's games of the generation are really going to be games from this year? Because I know that one of the things that kind of happened this year is I don't think you've beat Tsushima yet. Nope. Saving I know that you didn't play The Last of Us 2 at all, right? Nope, but I got it on Black Friday sale last week for 40 bucks. Interesting. Okay, there you go. So at least you have it. I guess for me, you know, The Witcher 3 has been around since 2015. A lot of people have played it and I know a lot of people love it. So I expected to see it a lot more than we did. And instead, the winner that we have beat everything by a long shot. 
which yeah. is not that surprising. But still, really cool to see The Last of Us Part Two, and not too much of a spoiler. We're getting to them later, but surprising amount of games from the last year, the last calendar year that were in this list. So good on uh, good on gaming to still be doing so strong in its last year of the PS4. You know, yeah, or, honestly, of this generation. Honestly, I think if anything, these past two generations has proved that the last year to a year and a half of a generation could be the most explosive. Yeah, I, or even then, I think that there's something to be said about the fact that it seems like every console finds its rhythm in its last two to three years. Yeah, and devs really sadly, understand it. Sadly, I don't necessarily know if that was as true for the 360. The 360 was kind of a dead console for that last year. Yeah, sadly, but I can um, see that. I mean, I think for sure the PS3, but even the 360 in its last two to three years was pretty solid. You know, you had games like 2011 was a huge year. You had Little Big Planet 2, I think it was the end of 2010 or maybe the beginning of 2011. I might be remembering that one wrong. But I know that you had Killzone 3, you had Uncharted 3, you had Resistance 3. You had a bunch of third-party games that were huge, like Did Portal Last 2. Of Us? The Last of Us was 2013, but I think 2011 specifically was a big year. 2007 and 2011 were really big years in gaming. 2007 was ridiculous. Was 2007 when Gears hit? Um, or was that 8? I don't know if Gears hit, but I, like... Halo 3, right? 2007 um, was, was Halo 3. It was Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Bioshock, Super Mario Galaxy, Portal, Crisis, the first Assassin's Creed, the first Mass Effect, Team Fortress 2... That's just the name of the few that I can see. And a lot of new IP in that. The, the first Witcher, God of War 2, The Orange Box, Half-Life 2, Episode 2, uh, Phantom Hourglass, The First Rock Band, uh, Command & Conquer 3, Ratchet & Clank, uh, Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, Guitar Hero 3, Crackdown, which that was only there, Darkness, you know, a Jericho. A lot of new IP. Skate. Skate. Yeah. Dude, 2007 was probably the most prominent year for gaming. Period. Wow. I, I don't think there's more of a... Of was a, Unreal Tournament 3 in there? Yeah. That game was awesome. Transformers <laughs> the game, uh, Spider-Man 3, um, a random-ass Harry Potter game. Manhunt 2, I clicked on that by accident. Yeah, 2007 was probably the best year for gaming. That's a big year. I mean, I'm not going to say best year. I think there's been... Or I should say best year in terms of sheer volume yeah. of great games. Yeah. Because there are, there are years with better games throughout it, but that's a lot of big, big... IPs that have come on and have become very strong oh, IPs Uncharted. in a lot of people's memory. I knew Uncharted was 2007. I guess I was just throwing that. I knew that in my mind. But, man, that is a wild list. It is. And it's, I'm seeing some other stuff in there, which is you know not as big, like Tomb Raider, Legends, and whatnot. Movie. Hey, the B-movie is a fantastic Ben 10, Protector. Jericho. Protector that's actually Earth. a really cool game. Yeah, it is. Um, man, Ben 10. <laughs> what, is, uh, what is that guy's name? I can't think of it now. You said that. I won't say Donovan, but that's not it. I don't know. John. Yeah, John gave us uh, gave me Jericho. He's like, it's so good. Just play it. Yeah, Jericho's like, okay. a great game, but criminally underplayed. You yeah. Know, it's just it one was, of those was things. A, was it a 360 exclusive? No, I don't think so. I it might have been. I played it on 360, but... I think that it's just one of those games that, like, um, just has some charm to it. But anyways, back to the list. Back to the list. Number two honestly surprised me because as we were first starting the list out and going through what everyone was mentioning, it didn't come up. And then suddenly at the end of every list, it started popping up a lot and it ended up coming back as kind of the underdog horizon zero dawn. Yeah. Which I think is a very worthy title. It's a, it's one of the cool new IPs for a lot of reason. This gen, I think there's been a lot of great new IP, but there's just something immediately original about a lot of that game. And 
as much as Saul and I have talked about very minor issues that I think can be easily cleaned up with the next game. Absolutely. I, I, honestly, I see it. I mean, it was a very fun game. It's a, it's one of those games that, despite having a really cool like actual premise that it goes through, some of the dialogue leaves you a little lacking, for my opinion. But I think the fact that it's got a cool story, interesting art style, interesting world, subject matter itself is already there. But I think the biggest thing is that it was one of the first games of this gen that kind of got Sony into this thing that we saw with Days Gone, and I think we're seeing with more and more games where it's all about just... It's a, it's the reason why a lot of people like Breath of the Wild. It's immersive gameplay that's just, hey, what are you going to go through and do because it's up to you to make this happen? Do You you know, you're out in an open world. How do you want to end up getting this thing to work out in your direction? Being able to... And, and how that evolved into something like Days Gone where, you know, you can run up and set a bomb on a stack of logs and run back and pop the logs and get them to trip over people. You can throw noise things. And it's up to you to determine how you want to bring these things down. And I love that. It's one of the things I loved about bug snacks too. It's just, here's a bunch of tools. The way you use them in our world is up to you. And you will even surprise us sometimes on how they can be mixed together that we didn't account for, but it just works by nature of the game. Days gone. Didn't make it on list at all. Days gone. Did not make it. On I'm actually list really surprised about that. Um, but yeah, like horizon for me, I've said it before. Horizon does a really cool thing with like, I think the game does such grand things in most of it that there's a, always an area. It's like Spider-Man. It's almost always an area of like, let's get through this so that I can get back to the really, really cool stuff. Like some of the human boss battles in that game were kind of bland because of how cool the creatures were. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the the problem I have with Spider-Man is, is the gameplay was great, but then you get stuck in stealth missions with Mary Jane. Or this boss battle is really cool, but now here's a tag team boss battle that just it's, it's boring. Um and I think that bland is like the perfect word to describe how those games feel at times. And I think honestly, grandiose at one time, grandiose, and then, a and then flat. there's there's like nothing in between of like slightly grand or anything like that. It's just bolt. It's bland. And um, I, Horizon Zero Dawn made it as one of my honorable mentions. Like I platinum that game. I really enjoyed that game. I'm looking forward to the sequel for that game. But it's 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 just one of those that like I can totally see why it is some people's game of the generation. Me too, and I expected it. That's why when it first wasn't showing up, I was a little surprised. I, I what I kind of viewed it as was maybe since it's come out, there's just been a lot of great games that it's harder for it to live up. But you know, I mentioned Breath of the Wild. The crazy thing is that Horizon Zero Dawn and Breath of the Wild came out the same day. Or was it the same the month? Same week, I think. Or week. Yeah, or it was weekend. very close to each other. Like one came out on Tuesday and one came out on Friday or something. Yeah. but And it's interesting to me that for the most part, I do see a lot of similarities in the way that they go about. Like, you know, of course, Zelda's open-ended to where you can literally go directly to the end as soon as you start. Yeah. If you just choose and can figure out how to get there. But I do like a lot of those. There's a lot of similarities between those in a cool way. Shout out, though, too. I mean, if nothing else... Horizon Zero Dawn is a great show that developers do not need to be stuck in one pattern of what they can make and that there's a lot of value in getting someone out of their shell and doing something totally different. That's true. And I mean, that's you, you saw that again with Days Gone where yep. we see people who have been making handheld games that were other franchises for so long and then suddenly they come out and make a really cool, unique... Or Bubsy. <laughs> or Bubsy, good Lord. Yeah, but Days Gone, I think Day, Horizon Zero Dawn... You know, had to be there, I think, for Sony to have approved Days Gone, in my mind. Even though it was already kind of going, I think that they saw how well Horizon was, and Sony themselves were like, we know this is going to do well, and it did. Yeah. And then they were like, go ahead and make Days Gone. We're going to take that risk because we're 
we personally see this, and then Horizon Zero Dawn comes out and sells gangbusters and reviews really well and gets a lot of Game of the Year awards. Yeah, and it was a, it was a risk worth taking too, and that kind of also boils down to the winner of the community's game of the generation because it was a risk, kind of being the way it was. But I guess we're in a day and age in which they did it so well, and it did it with such a granular story that it's like this is kind of worth it, and that's God of War. Yeah. God of War went from a smash em, bash em, beat em up game that had a good story, but then it slowed down and the pacing of it slowed, but then the story was grand. The enemy designs were a little repetitive, but still great when it came to stuff like uh, the bosses. And it still kept a charm of what it had while completely reinventing itself. And, yeah. that, and you can't say that that's a common thing for other games to do. I can't tell you another game that has restarted like this and that has done it as well as God of War has. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the crazy thing, right? Is I don't think most franchises take this big of a detour Nuh-uh. from what they were. Yeah, I don't think that you suddenly become a behind the shoulder, you know, game when you were always a fixed camera game. I don't right. think you suddenly become. I don't want to say completely, but I, I don't think you suddenly become more of a slow hack and slash. It's more along the lines of something you'd expect from like a Souls game when you were before more of like a devil may cry with blades. Yeah. You know, like that's really what God of war was all about. Like we're going to make a crazy action game and we're going to do it with blades. And I think that there's a lot of big changes they make. They take him out of his element by going away from Greek where we'd always know and put him in a new thing. I think for most series, for most developers, this would have been a new IP that was very strongly like you'd see ties that were kind of like, well, they're, okay, they're taking somebody who's a god and putting them against other gods. They could have easily done this as a completely new IP with completely new characters. Yeah. Instead, it's a continuation, and that was a ballsy move. And I think Sony were aware of how ballsy that was because there's a great story where they had to make God of War on a really tight budget because Sony was not sure of the idea, but they wanted to give them the creative freedom to try it, but they couldn't take the risk because God of War Ascension – Reviewed okay, sold okay, but it was a big drop after God of War 3 was such a huge deal for Sony. And I think Sony saw that and put a lot of money in marketing behind that and didn't quite get the return they expected. It probably made money or broke even. Yeah. But I think that after you have that project that Sony Santa Monica started that with Stig S. Mewson that ended up getting canceled, that we don't even know much about it. Right. But that game that got canceled, and then you come back in with God of War, and you're saying, well, you know, God of War is something that we know people like in this form, but at the same time, it seems that like they might be burned out on it. So do we let people continue? Okay, well, if we let them continue, do we let them completely change what God of War is and what it means to be? So I, I think it was reasonable for Sony to come in and say, we're going to let you do it. But here's a modest budget that you're going to have to work with then to prove to us that this was the right thing. And clearly it was right. huge, huge deal for them. And I think taking that story and going from the grandiose nature of what it was to a much more heartfelt story was cool. I was always a big person that I thought God of War 1, 2, and 3 actually had great stories. But they weren't they were different. They weren't this. They were grandiose. They were larger than life. And to say that this has qualities of larger-than-life moments, it certainly does. But at the end of the day, it's more grounded. what's it actually about? It's yeah. about a father and a son moving forward to spread their mother's ashes. That's not even a spoiler. Everyone knows that that's what the game is about. And I'll say this. like Sony has been doing two things this generation. and It's something that I've gotten kind of gotten over. And it never really bothered me to begin with except number two. But number one was that they are telling these amazing stories while using very, very cliché 
stories to tell them. Yeah. Like that, if you break it down like that, very cliche. You break down The Last of Us, very cliche. You break down Days Gone, once again, same as The Last of Us, same thing. Very cliche. But then they're told in the in the in the spectacle gameplay that they have and the character designs as well as the character acting as well from people like um was it Mark Judge? No. What's Christopher it? Judge. Christopher Judge. Mm-hmm. Um as as um Kratos and then you have Sonny like, Solzik as uh, Atreus. Atreus and then you you know, you have all these people like Ashley Johnson as Ellie and everybody in the world that Troy Baker has been and everybody in the world that Nolan North has been. And I think that that's a telling thing for them is that they can take something at ground level. And the way you describe it is like, you just kind of have to play it. Like if you ask me what Bloodborne story was like, you kind of just have to play it. Um, You may not understand the story the first time around, but there's elements in it that will, that will very well make themselves present by half of the game. And the number two is the pacing. And I think that that game had similar moments to me that, that Spider-Man had and that uh, Horizon had. Horizon didn't have it as badly, but there's moments in that game where I felt like pacing could have been sped up a little bit. And I feel like that's just going to become the new norm in a way of like, they kind of want you to, t- they kind of want you to have the patience and to sit back and relax in this journey. And it's not always about going from story beat to story beat, but the story beats are set up so well that you want to go from story beat to story. Beat. Like you're hungry for it. Yeah. yeah. Especially Spider- Spider-Man, I think did it the worst. And I mean that as in they set something such like something so suspenseful up, but then you really can't go do it for a minute. And yeah. I think that that is where God of War set it up too, but the walk at the end of the game not saying much other than other than that because you need to play it if you haven't. There's a walk at the end of the game, and I think that there was like at the same time I was like, "What are we going to find?" Like, like let's hurry this up. But at the same time, I'm like, "This is the reason why we're doing it this way. The reason it is the, the journey." Yeah. So, congrats to God of War for making um, our community's game of the generation winner, and uh, thanks to everybody. I think now instead of jumping into our top five list because we're only at like what twenty minutes in. 25 minutes in. You want to go through here and just nab some people's generation games? Like yeah, no, ones? absolutely. I, I wanted to do that for sure. Okay, so Awesome Dave threw out Bloodborne as his game of the generation winner, which is absolutely amazing. I thank you for that because Bloodborne's fantastic. And Josh Ayers, <laughs> listen. You'll say it right one of these days. I'll say it right one of these times. Uh, Resident Evil 2 for Josh. So I actually saw that coming, and I'm actually not surprised that Final Fantasy VII is his number two game of the generation. Um Kiki, The Last of Us 2 and is number one, and Kingdom Hearts 3 is number two. That fits you so well. One second, though. Kiki, I love you. He's one of our patrons, good friends, longtime listener. I know that someone's going to say this, so I'm going to get it out across the thing, too, because I love Kingdom Hearts 3, so I'm not at all deriding you, but I know that you were in a similar boat as me where... I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear you say Kingdom Hearts 3 if they've ever talked with you or dealt with you. And same with me. I think if people were looking at me and say, do you really think that's game of the generation? I think, honestly, hold on, let me cut you off because I'm going to cut you off for a second. I think that's how every fan of Kingdom Hearts 3 talked about it after the game was out. That's the thing. is, like, I did I think the same thing. A lot of people could love that game. But it, the, it, it's the thing. It's like I think it could still be game of the generation, but I don't think it was easy for that game to be what anybody had built it up in their minds to be. So there's always that somewhat feeling of like a little disappointment, but also a lot of love because it does finally bring a cap to the majority of the things you've been wondering about for a long time. Oh yeah, it does it really well too. Like at the the, the last <clears throat> quarter of the game is like nothing but 
question answering. Yes, yes. And then I think it was important to know also that he put Kingdom Hearts 3 plus Remind. Right. And I do think that Remind DLC actually helped make that game rest in my mind even larger than it had. And I think that if the game would have launched as Remind, like every bit of that in the game without having to go more, I think I could really see it be more of a contender for a lot of people. But... Yeah, just I wanted to throw that out there. I like that answer, but I know there's going to be people that are like, didn't you say that you were slightly disappointed in Kingdom Hearts 3? Well, maybe, but that's just because when you've been building something for 20 years... I think every hardcore Kingdom Hearts fan was disappointed in some capacity with Kingdom Hearts 3. Because I think, I think everybody had that thing of like, on one hand, we got all of these questions answered. On the other hand, here's 20 more questions this game <laughs> just asked us. When are we going to get those answered? Yeah. And I think that was the crux of most people. Um, Cypher Primus, he says God of War. He contributed to the, the community's uh, take winner of the generation. Uh, Rude Days 93, he says The Witcher 3. Committed to number three, my dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dog, he did Uncharted 4, which I'm actually surprised didn't make it in our top three countdown. I'm sure if we did top five, maybe it would have made it in there. Um, Ghost of Tsushima got a lot. You know, Josh Drago put that God of War and Ghost of Tsushima were a tie for him. Like, he just couldn't put one out. That's surprising. Jeff Schrock also put Ghost of Tsushima on there. That kind of goes back to what we were talking about where, excuse me, it's pretty interesting, and it happened last gen, too. I think a lot of people viewed the game of the generation for PS3, whether you agree or not. There was a large consensus that the game of the generation for PS3 ended up being The Last of Us. And that was one yeah. of the last games. It wasn't the last game, but it was one of the last games. Within like a year and a half of its total time span. Well, I mean, you know, it came out six months almost before well, that's PS3. What I, that, that's what I'm saying. PS4, well, like, rather. About a year and a half later, <clears throat> that, that console had done pretty much all it could have done. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. But one thing that was listed on here a lot, and I think I, I was glad to see that people put it, because we always talk about, and I think we even somewhat pride ourselves in the fact that, yes, we're a PlayStation podcast, but at the end of the day, we're just gaming people, and each one of us own all three consoles up until Saul somehow ran out of all the Switches he had. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because Saul has owned more Switches since the system has come out than anyone I know, and yet doesn't have one now. I guarantee I'll beat you all. Like, Let me know how many Switches you own in your life. I've won. I've won this, because I've owned four. No, I, it's been three. Hold on. I'm pretty sure it's four. No, because I don't count one of them. One of them was immediately went to Annie. For Annie? Okay. Yeah. Like, Fair enough. Because I bought the launch one, I bought one Switch Lite, and then I bought the extended battery life one. Yeah, We've new... had four in our household over time. Yeah. But Just don't judge. A I'm lot of get people. A soon again. A lot Five. of people put Breath of the Wild. And I was glad to see that people were so easy to put a game on here and not think, well, it's got to be a PlayStation game. Because we're talking game of the generation. We're not talking about PlayStation 4 game of the generation, even though naturally from our listener base and us, we are often going to find that a lot of the games for us were PS4 games. But I think the other side of that ends up being that. PlayStation really put out some work this generation and put out a lot of critically acclaimed games in such a way that it's really hard for you to think of a game of the generation and not think of a PlayStation game, at least somewhere in that list. Yeah, like out of my honorable mentions, um, three of them are not on PlayStation. I mean, well, they are now, but I didn't play these three on, on PlayStation. Okay, what are they? Now I just got to know. Well, we'll go to our honorable mentions after this. Sorry. Okay. Because we'll, we'll do our honorable mentions each, and then we'll do it one at a time. Five. Four, three, two, one. So there's a couple of lists on here that I want to mention because I think they're the most interesting ones. Uh, Danny, Candyman, Villiobos. And this is what I love about the way we chose to do it. Saul and I spoke about how 
This was a lot more of a fun way to do it because we got to build a humongous list. Every game, if it was mentioned at all, got onto our list. And I may snapshot that list and put it on social media so you can see it. But I liked seeing it that way because you end up seeing some games that are like real surprises. One of the ones that comes to mind immediately, and I I consider it a Cinderella story, was that Josh Drago, uh, one of our longtime listeners, he said Zombie Army 4 as one of him. It was number five. I got to see what this game is. But what I like about that is I, I don't, that game would have never been mentioned in a normal discussion from a game of the year award thing. Now, of course, we're not the biggest thing in the world, but what we like about this conversation is it opens the door for us to see what other people like. And Saul and I talked like, you know, who are we ultimately to nominate five games or whatever and then make you vote between those? Yeah. I think it's an infinitely more fun and personal conversation for you to give us a list of what games spoke to you this generation. So, Danny Candyman Villalobos, uh, one of our patrons for a long time, he said God of War, and that was the only answer that I think was more of a conventional answer. Uh, he, po- he put Devil May Cry 5 next, Tekken 7 next, Transistor from uh, the Bastion developer, which is really great. Uh, Neo was his last one, and I know he loves Neo. So I love seeing that. And he actually goes, he says, I love these games because they excel at what they're known for and wouldn't get tired of playing. I'm still going through my backlog to this May change, in, uh, so this may change in the future, but I'm pretty confident in this list. And I love that. Seeing people just come in and say, this is what we think, regardless of how popular the answers might be, is so fun. It's infinitely more fun than saying, choose here's five games that we decided are you know relevant for this go ahead and answer i'm kind of interested if zombie army 4 was made by the same people who made sniper elite there's some weird i think it's i think it's made by the same people i think it's on the same engine i think it was originally some kind of a weird change um i can't remember that developer's name right now but i think you're right it looks like a game that's essentially black ops zombies but it's like watch this scene right here it's exactly sniper yeah i'm pretty sure that's right um, Josh, let us know about that game because that game actually looks kind of fun. With if, if you could play with friends, um, I remember when it came out, he bought it, and I asked him what it was, and then he immediately sent me this thing that had Zombie Army one, two, and three, like showing like a collection. Because I was like, oh, okay, this is something that's been going on a long time. Because my immediate thought was, oh, I don't think I've ever heard of that series until like earlier when you said it before we started. Yeah, so it threw me off. I at least recognized it because of Josh. I think something that's clearly, uh, it was a big runner up to from the three that was mentioned a lot and clearly so Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, I was going to say Ryan's list. Uh, he has a really interesting list because his is Red Dead 2 at number one, GT Sport at number two, The Division at number three, Monster Hunter World at number four, and Ace Combat 7 at number five. And he says, I have it finished. And then he goes and lists Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding. And then his honorable mentions are Mudrunner, Snowrunner, Wreckfest, Dirt Rally, No Man's Sky, Division 2, Abzu, Metal Gear Solid 5, and The Last Guardian. Guardian. So this is the last guardian. The most now, obviously, he broke the five thing rule, and I think he he he. Well, when he says not when he says I haven't finished, the Ghost of Tsushima and Death Stranding are two games he's still currently playing. Right. Yeah. I can I can understand that. But his honorable mentions plus his list is probably some of the most variety. Yeah. Everything that I've seen. Uh, Granted, 
he's the only one that sent us honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. So, well, no, we had a couple. Let me because you don't have Facebook, so you don't quite have those. I do want to go grab a and, couple. And Dennis Kevin Bacon bits did too. Yeah. I just now saw that. And so did Kyle Grimm. Yeah, Kyle Grimm also had a few on his. I like seeing the people who did go into honorable mentions because it's kind of that feeling of like, oh, what do you do? But there's one conversation we haven't had yet that I think has to be had because, in all honesty, at the end of the day, there are games. That, that come out in a generation that do the most, regardless of how you personally feel about them. So Josh Shoup, I'm going to give you his list because I thought it was cool too. Metal Gear Solid Five, The Witcher 3, Death Stranding, Cuphead, and Diablo 3. I've played everything of that list. I didn't beat Metal Gear Solid Five, but I played it. I played everything except besides Cuphead so far, and it's a good list. But he says, what deserves Game of the Gen, though? We all know the real answer, even if you don't want to admit it. It would be considered a hot take, but Fortnite is the game of the generation. I thought it would be a flash in the pan for a couple months, but clearly they are still as strong as ever. And I think that the thing that comes down here, I'm mostly with you. I think that Fortnite is a clear answer because it had a big impact on a lot of stuff. But I have a weirder answer in, in, in the back of my head as to why I think something like Fortnite was able to come and kind of work so well and get people's mind in. Fortnite's way bigger than this ever was. But I think the game that of this generation that started it... PUBG. Pu- well, PUBG was that. But Warframe was the first game I can think of this generation that came out as a game-as-a-service kind of game, like these have ended up being, showed that free-to-play could be done in a way that you can play and do everything completely on your own. Or, if you don't want to pay to win, you can just pay for extra cool stuff. And I think that regardless of whether Fortnite or all these games ended up being, you know inspired by the fact that Warframe, I think, pretty much perfected the free-to-play model really early on in this generation. I think that those are all examples of games. Apex is all part of that, too, where one of the things we've seen this gen is games as a service from a free-to-play model working really well. And Warframe is just the first example I can genuinely think of that did that. But there's another game that comes into mind that I think is similar to all of those games, except for one thing. You do have to pay for it, but once you pay for it, boy, do you get a lot of stuff. Terraria. Or Terraria. Terraria is one of them, but No Man's Sky is what it is. I think if... True. If, if I'm being honest, I think if you bought No Man's Sky at launch and you continue to play it and you've played it since the newest update, you might have gotten the generation of... You, get, you might have gotten the value of the generation. Yeah. I mean, if you bought it now, you get a lot of stuff to do. But if you talk about an initial investment that I think a lot of people were disappointed with, even though some people still played it, it wasn't what they expected to what it is now. Completely different. It was so crazy to me, and I'm kind of glad I did it when I did it. Playing version 1.0 for that like day that I did that, just to catch back up on that trophy, and then immediately hopping into the newest update, it struck me just how much I think No Man's Sky... We've talked about it forever. We yeah. we know that it deserves credit, and the Hello Games deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. But seeing it basically one after the other, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's like, it keeps on evolving, and for free. Yeah. It just, it, it didn't, it, they had never, well, one point did they say, hey, this one's going to be five ninety nine, or hey, this one's going to be twenty nine ninety nine to get this one. It's all been free, because I knew that they know they messed up, and they're, they're doing right by it, by fixing it. And then, not only are they doing it by compensating they have overcompensated for what they messed up this game is overhauled completely different now and we've talked about it at length plenty of times but they definitely i would say they're probably more 
they're probably more deserving than Fortnite, in my opinion, just because they show you how a developer should be. Where I think I think Fortnite introduced like the season pass and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and made it popular enough that other games had to start adopting it. Yeah, which I don't think is necessarily for good. I think that sometimes that stuff like that, like PUBG started the whole battle royale craze. Fortnite evidently perfected it, but they've also started a couple of other practices, or they lean so heavy into it that they it's made it the norm. And I don't think it's necessarily be praised for. Yeah. But without a doubt, they've had a impact on the the industry as a whole i just think that in my opinion no man's sky is the perfect true game of the generation because of how much it's done yeah for nothing my thing for no man's sky just comes back to the fact that i think that that happened and was such a success for the developer even you know the developer continues to, to do well as a result of this and has built all of this good pr as a result to me this gives me hope that if a game comes out in a not so great sense that a it can be fixed. That's the first thing it gives me hope for. And that B, they can do so completely free. And not only will the game be better as a result, I think that the developer will be paid back in spades for giving that kind of goodwill out. And you'll see players appreciate that and come back. And as long as you have made a good game to come back to, yeah, it can come out well for you. And I think that gives me hope for things like Anthem and Avengers where a lot of people are worried that the game may just stop and doesn't get supported enough. I mean, right now we're still seeing Avengers be supported, thankfully, but you know, we all know that Anthem still got supported, but for a while it was kind of radio silent and we know that they're working on Anthem 2.0. The big question has been over and over. Do you have to pay for it? Yeah. And I think the answer, if EA is even remotely paying attention to the games industry, I think they know that they can't charge for it. And that if they do it right, and it is a good game, that both EA and Bioware can come back with such good PR for doing it for free. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because if they, if they throw a fifty dollars price tag on it, you, everybody I know of should look at it like this, because this is how I'm looking at it. I'm not saying you should because I'm doing it, but this is how I think you should look at it regardless. Why am I paying twice for, to get a game fixed? Yes. Because that's what you would be doing. Yep. You paid $60 for it the first time, and you'd be paying $50 the second time. Yeah. $111 to still fix a game is not... The price of a game. Not when Demon Souls itself is $70. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when you look at that, I think Fortnite is a reasonable answer. And I do think that there's a, a lot of people that could say that as the true biggest impact. But I think that at least in the same breath, you'd be remiss not to mention No Man's Sky and the impact that I think it can have on the gaming industry, even just continuing to move forward, which I think is also true of Fortnite. Um, but thank you to everyone for giving these, these lists out. They were a blast to read. I love seeing them. There was another couple surprising games. Borderlands 3 being on there for a, a good a bit of people was really cool to see. Uh, some other games that just stood out as just little ones that people really loved. I was a little surprised, and this was a cool one. Uh, one of our one of people that I, I don't recognize, so he may be a newer listener. I'm not quite sure. I'm going to go find him on Twitter. He sent us one real late last night. And I liked his list because he gave a really cool reason. His name's Swabby uh, over on Twitter. And he says MLB, the show, the series, because it reignited his love for baseball that he had as a child with his father who has now passed. And again, your reasoning for Game of the Generation does not have to be anything other than why you think it's Game of the Generation. Yeah. Nothing exemplifies it more than that. 
So thanks, Swabby. Look forward to seeing more from you. Thank you for participating as well as everyone else. But I think now it's time for us to get into ours. And so I'm a little curious to see what your runner-ups are. Sure. So I just did kind of a list of honorable mentions, and they're not in any order. Uh, and I'll be somewhat brief with them all because we've touched on a couple of them. Um, but I did also did have like a, a limit for these. Like I have six of them total. Mm-hmm. Um, no, more like eight of them. But uh, Hellblade, Sinuous Sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That game did something with its audio that most games fail to do on a normal base-to-base level. And what I mean by that is that that, game's, that game was carried 50% of it by the audio. And it's rare you get that level of immersion anymore in gaming with, with that alone. I've called out Witcher 3 for having a, some of the best audio in the, in the industry, in my opinion. Yeah. Because of the, just the, the wind through the, the trees and the, and the leaves rustling. Um, but yeah, great story. I'm I'm curious about what they see what they do with the second one. Um, but I love the story of it. The combat for it was great, and it was almost a perfect length for the price it was. Like it was like twelve hours total to platinum it is what I got in about yeah. twelve fourteen hours, and it was just great. And I think that most games like I think that is an experience that 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 transcends above, above a game just because of how it made me feel with the audio. Sure. Like, there were moments that I was like uncomfortable because of the audio itself yeah and i think that that itself transcended the game at that moment um monster hunter world probably my top multiplayer game of this generation tied with destiny 2 and i say that for two reasons one monster hunter world would have beaten destiny 2 if i didn't have more interactions with destiny 2 and two I think that the interactions I have with Destiny 2 are more constant. Um, they just happen more frequently than Monster Hunter World did. But Monster Hunter World was by far my favorite multiplayer game when it comes down to just getting in a party with friends, goofing off and hunting down monsters and stuff like that, trying out new builds. And I really, 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 really want to get into Iceborne and whatever they have coming next because evidently they're getting ready for the for the other expansion. See, I was curious about that uh, because I like that idea too. I, I think the big thing for me that I've always complained about with Destiny is that we we know why it likely happened, Activision. Yeah. But the biggest complaint I always had with Destiny is it never made sense to me that destiny two was a completely separate game and cut off all the content from before. And I was so ecstatic to see that Iceborne, even though I've not played it and I do really want to get back to it. It's just, I only have so much time. Uh, I love the idea of here's a completely new game. It is to destiny. What I think or it is to destiny. What destiny two is, but instead they chose to have it where it's a, separate game you're paying a full price for this game it's a full it's a full game's worth of content yeah all on top of and in line under the exact same game as monster Hunter world and so, i think for the type of game it is that makes infinitely more sense and you get to continue moving your character through in a way that makes monster hunter world almost feel like more of an mmo than destiny when destiny are keep saying like we're gonna go ahead and embrace the fact that we are indeed an mmo yeah now, Iceborne, you can actually go through and do all your old hunts on top of brand new hunts, right? Exactly. I mean, every bit of content that was in the first game is also. Yeah. and Because and it is an expansion. It's an expansion in the way like MMOs are. It's, it's like when a new World of Warcraft expansion comes out and adds new areas, new classes, and all that. Every bit of that. But you still play all the old stuff if you damn well choose to do so. Yeah, I like that about it. Now, um, what I'm not sure about with that is if when you go in and play, if you can start immediately in Iceborne and then go and do all the other stuff, or if you have to start 
Like, you know, if you bought in at Iceborne, can you go ahead and fight some of the new stuff? I'm not you, sure. You would probably, if it's going off of MFO roots, kind of what you're saying, you would probably not be able to. Because you can't start um, a Realm Reborn and do Stormblood story. Yeah. You sure. have to go through a Realm Reborn to get to it. Um, unless you buy, like, an upgrade that allows you to skip that and level your character. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, never beat the game. That got it spoiled for me. <laughs> but Which is the, the classical tale of this entire generation. But... I can admire the depth and the beauty that that game is. Like I, I'm telling you, online in that game, playing with Ryan, or just playing by myself, the amount of wild encounters that happens, and just the depth of that world, along with the graphical fidelity of it, is like no other. I cannot name another open world game that beautiful, that detailed, that allows you to do as much stuff in it that you can do. I could go bounty hunt one moment and then go hunt deer the next. Yeah. It's like what I wanted. It's like what everybody wants in a new Elder Scrolls game, but it's in the kind of cowboy era. I loved it. I thought it was great, and I think that it's definitely worth mentioning as a game this generation for certain for sure. me. Um, Metal Gear Solid Five. Once again, I, and this ties in directly to another game on this list, but... Honestly, I love games that allow you to choose to tackle situations in any way you can, in any way that your mind comes up with it. That is one of my favorite aspects in any game ever. I'm so excited for you to play Bugsnax. I, I, I really mean this. And I, I, I'm just, I love games like that. And to throw stealth mechanics into it as, a, as another added depth and layer is amazing. That's why the first couple of like dungeons or whatever in Ghost are kind of like that, but you kind of can't do that. You're a little more restricted, and I know that kind of opens up later. Oh yeah, game. Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, yeah, they hold your hand a little more. Like, hey, we're going to show you this now and take. I mean, yeah, there's there's some things I really do love Ghost, but I do wish that across the board it was more like, hey, we're going to just tell you that this exists, but whether you do it right now or not is entirely up to you. Yeah, um, it's much more of the Souls approach. But in a game like Metal Gear Solid, where that's what yeah. it is. It's like, you can go ahead and do everything that you have unlocked and that you can go through and do. It's just up to you. Right. And, and I think that the, the difference with Metal Gear Solid 5, adding the open world aspect to it, was that that was a direct correlation. Is that you can go, and I could run this truck into this tower, and then hop out, throw down a decoy, crouch behind a rock, and then take out two guys with a, a silent sniper. Or I can just take everybody out from afar without anybody seeing me. And the game adapts. If you do that and it's dark, they'll start wearing night vision and helmets. And sure. it's like you got to adapt your playthrough, but you could change it to whatever you want. And I think that is the, the big takeaway here. Um, Hollow Knight, fantastic game. Um, it's one of those that, like, the beauty of it is ex- as, ex- as exceptional as the gameplay. The boss design for it was great. The enemy design for it is great. The soundtrack is amazing. Silk Song can't come quick enough, and I actually I actually thought <laughs> yeah. about playing it again because it's free on PS Plus this month, yep. and I downloaded it. I downloaded Bug Snacks, uh, Bug Snacks, um, and uh, Shadow of War, but it's just one of those games that I never got around to playing on my PS4 because I played through it on my Switch, and I loved it. I thought it was a great, uh, a fantastic entry to the Metroidvania series um, or series, but you know, collections of games, yeah, certainly. genre. Um, Destiny 2, once again, it's a game that, like, no matter what, I'll keep coming back to. So, this is your real list, right? No, this is is still honorable mention. This is why I'm going through them so quick. Wanted to be sure, yeah. Um, Destiny 2, because while it did have major flaws and some expansions like Warmind and Curse of Osiris were definitely a miss, 
um when it's at its high it is really 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 high up there um you got all your buddies playing you know that no matter what like if you're done with your weeklies or whatever you can still hop on a party chat with your buddies and goof off in crucible or gambit or whatever and still have fun and i think for that it deserves a spot with over forgot what it was last week but hundreds of hours played in this game since it came out <laughs> it was like 800 wasn't yeah it? <laughs> it's like almost a thousand hours in this game since it's come out um, i think that says something about the game and i think that it shows that um Stockholm Syndrome is a thing. Uh, <laughs> Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Once again, honorable mention. Uh, very, very similar to Metal Gear Solid Five. You can start this game up and you can play it in so many fragmented ways and so many different approaches that it never truly gets old until you're in the middle of the playthrough. Um, just because it becomes very much of the same thing. Now, that's kind of why I didn't make my game of the generation list is because the puzzles in the you have four temples to go through at the end of the game and or throughout the game and i think some of those puzzles were done really well and i think some of them others weren't and it's just really it's one of those games that like i really have highs with and i have low lows with and (laughs) yeah i think that though people often say this is not a zelda game i don't fully disagree to that but i also don't agree to that at all there have been plenty of zelda games that haven't felt like zelda games but they're still like wind waker you would not classify that as a traditional Zelda game in a way, but yeah. it is. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think I do, but that's just because it's one of those often things where don't. Wind Waker is my favorite one. Yeah, and that's that's my point is Wind yeah. Waker is also one of my favorite ones. Yeah. So there's that. Now, my boy Chris Figs will agree with me on this one, but the fifth or the, the eighth and final honorable mention for me is Slay the Spire. <laughs> no game. You'd be remiss not to mention it. Yeah, no game has taken up my time as quickly as that game did. That game is very, very clever in the designs that it has, the classes that you can... There's three classes you could play as. And for a card game, I honestly wish that that was a real-life game. It doesn't make sense that it would be, but like if they somehow made that a tabletop game, I would play it every weekend. Um, it was It's super good, and I really, really enjoyed it. I contemplated picking it up on Steam because it's actually not super expensive on Steam. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all my honorable mentions uh, before my top five list. Brett... Your turn. All right. So I did the same thing. I, you added a lot like I did where I was like, huh, I'm trying to keep the honorable mentions short. I, but I, these are ones that I think elicit at least a response. And a lot of them I think you would have known. So I think my first one I want to mention and go ahead and get it out of the way is Red Dead 2. And the reason that that one's on mine, much like Saul, I did beat it. But I came from not liking Red Dead 1 and I've tried it again and fell out of it again. It's just something about it does not grip me at all and i can't play long enough for the story to get into its hooks into me so i end up in being in this position where as much as i feel bad that i have to do it the gameplay doesn't hold my attention long enough for the story to finally grip me so that i don't care about the gameplay as much yeah so sadly that's what happens red dead 2 i think had the same thing in a lot of ways but i think the control for allowing me to play in first person somehow felt better to me i'm not really sure why i don't know if it pulled dishonored vibes or something but i liked the ability to be in first person more and i continue to give it a chance i tried fighting through more and i actually kind of liked some of the simu- uh, simulator aspects of it. it was a little more realistic which can be both annoying to some people and really cool to others because it's like this added benefit but the thing about red dead 2 comes down to i still am not a huge fan of the gameplay ultimately i think it's still the weakest part of the game and it continues to be the problem that i have with rockstar games across the board I am personally not a fan of the way they handle third-person shooters, but that's fine. It is what it is. Red Dead 2's gameplay was at least good enough 
to keep me in the you know involved and invested, even though early parts of the game I think were really slow. But once it finally got going, I don't think it ever really let go. And I really, being someone who's not a huge fan of Cowboys, I was really surprised that I was able to get a story that pulled me in so hard. But I'm gonna say one thing right now: the love I had for my horse and the tear I shed. It was re- very real. Damn it, Micah. <laughs> Damn it, Micah. But, yeah, great game. I won't say too much more. If you haven't played it, I think it's one of the few games where I honestly say that it's worth playing. But as with everything, just like everyone tells me Red Dead 1's worth playing, if you go to play it and the gameplay just doesn't hold up for you, the only thing I can really try and tell you is try to get involved in the fact that it is simulator. Let that stop being a downside of the game and try and embrace the fact that, okay, this is me as this person living in the eight, like the late 1800s and just see what that does for you. Cause I feel like that's actually what the gameplay was a little bit better for me, but really the simulator aspects pulled me. Um, next one on my honorable mentions list is Greedfall. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody, Outside of the fact that it's a double A game, Greedfall almost made my games of the generation list. I'm actually surprised it didn't. Because there's I think the reason is is that I don't think for me there was another RPG that was classic RPG this generation that hit me. There was very few of those already. Most of them have moved away from the hey, we want to let you do this, and if you put these clothes on, then you can do this or you can do this. It's it's all about what you do in the game determines how you play. And I fell head over heels for Greedfall and wouldn't shut up about it. So instead of doing that now, I'm just going to tell you: if you listen to this show for a while, you know I love Greedfall, and it brought me back into a genre that I kind of feared was dead for me. Yeah, and I love that. And immediately going after Greedfall, not immediately, but very close, and going and replaying Fable uh, on the Xbox One X, the original Fable, there's a lot of that in there, too, where I'm like, this these, this is where I think the, these things thrive, and I hope to see more of it. Super glad to see that Greedfall is coming to uh, PS5 with next-gen next gen enhancements and new content. I might give it a shot then. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what it was about it. A couple hey, of things. It, but is, it is what it is. Then again... I didn't put it on mine, but Outer Worlds. The Outer Worlds is also really good. I'm not going to shout it out here, but I do think the Outer Worlds did for me what Fallout 4 did not. And that's, that's what I'll leave it at. Uh, Diablo 3 is on my list because I'd be remiss not to. I played hundreds upon hundreds of hours. And my real reason why it's on here is I think it's a great game to just pick up and play with people. And the variety of builds that you can do are insane. But if I'm being honest, it was the perfect game to put on, as I've done even in my teen years, with games like Untold Legends from the PlayStation side of things on both the PSP ones and the PS3 one. It's my game to put on and just play with friends and be able to kind of have fun without having to think too much about it. I have really great memories of playing Diablo 3 on computer with Blaze. I have really great memories, tons of them, playing Diablo 3 with Donovan, who's moved off. And that's our way. When he'd come visit, we'd play it and just catch up and shoot the shit. And whenever he was away, we'd team up on Party Chat and play. And it's a good way for us to get together and just have fun as friends without feeling like we're having to pay too much attention. Yeah. And there's something that's just, it's got to be said about that. Hollow Knight's on my list as well. Saul's already mentioned most of the reasons I think so. But the music and the gameplay all together and just the mystery of the world that the music helps build toward, that game cannot be understated. Again, almost made my actual five because it's so hard not to want to put it there. Next one up, I also have talked a ton about, but it's been a long time. Dead Cells just got its hooks in me, and I could not stop until something finally came out 
to make me stop that I just was like, I really want to play this. Someone had to put Dead Cells down. Great game. I think that it kind of shows why early access can work because ultimately that game released in a finished enough state, but it was early access. That game has been updated so many times since, and it's wild. Uh, so if you've not played Dead Cells, it's free on a lot of different things. I'm pretty sure it's free on Game Pass. I think it might still be on PS Now. I may have been given out as a PS Plus title. However you go about getting it or have gotten it, try it. I don't think you'll regret it. Same thing with Hollow Knight. It's free right now. Go get it. Give it a try. At the worst case scenario, worst you can do is waste 30 minutes to an hour of your time if you don't have it hooked into you immediately. The last honorable mention, A Plague Tale Innocence. It's a game I've not quite gone back to. I intend to go back to in Platinum, but I'm saving it because we are really heavily debating doing it as one of our spoiler cast games, or spoiler chats, rather, games. And I think the big takeaway from this list is that AA has done so much this generation to pull itself back up by the bootstraps and really do something great. And a lot of my favorite games this generation were not AAA games. And that says a lot to me. goes to show that there's still room for it to do a lot. So if you've not played Plague Tale, go check it out. I don't want to say too much. Fantastic looking game, surprisingly, from what it is. Uh, the gameplay itself is really cool and unique, and I think it does a really cool tale, uh, take on the bubonic plague. And then lastly, it's got really great characters, and that is what ultimately makes any great story worth telling. So All kinds of stuff up in AA space. Here we are. You have five and I have five. Is that what we were led to believe? Yep. And you get to go first because I had to go my honorable mentions first. <laughs> okay. So you get to go first. Well, of well, course, well, what we're going to do is if we if we have the same game on the same list, we'll we'll talk about it in, yeah. in tandem. And we'll, we'll also stagger them too. Like you'll do your number five and then I'll, I'll do my number five. I'm cool with that. Okay. Cool with that. Uh, my number five, and this is really hard to figure out where it went on the list, but I'm okay with it landing here because it's still on the list. Dishonored 2. Oh, wow. Okay. Dishonored 2 is a game that I, it's exactly, and I've told you this every time that you've debated going to play it. Yeah. It is exactly to me what Metal Gear Solid 5 is to you. It takes the promise of the original Dishonored that I think was held back by PS3 and, or, you know, PS3 and 360 and says, what if you take that same open-ended level design approach and you really put it in very big city hubs and very big areas? And from there, you expand how you can control getting around to the extent to where the game's trophies, and that's why I don't have the platinum. As much as I love this element, I just can't do it. The fact that you can play the entire game without killing anybody, you can play the entire game without ever being seen by anybody or killing anybody, you can kill everybody and still not be seen. There's just so many permeations of what you can do. But at the end of the day, I think this is a game that has a really cool story. I love the basic idea behind what Dishonored is about, You know, giving yourself up to the outsider and what comes as a result of that. But Everything else about it kind of just is a gameplay comes first. And there's something that's so cool about Dishonored's gameplay and visual style altogether that it is, I've only played it once and it's constantly on my mind. That's really the best thing I can say. That's some big words. I remember that game so well to have only played it once when there's games that I really enjoyed. And then when you ask me parts about them, I'm like, I don't really remember, you know? Yeah. So honestly, you know, I think that'll be another thing I, I take into the PS5 gen because it's on PS Now, I think. And I'm a PS Now it subscriber, is. so I it might, is. I might, that might give me a break before now and PS5 to have something to play. I don't know though. We'll we'll see. Uh, actually, I changed my mind. Let's do it this way. You do your top four. 
and then I'll do my top four, and then we'll do top one. <laughs> right. It'll become very obvious, I think, to each of us what our number one game will be after number two is revealed. <laughs> Throughout time, I've got to reorder mine because I just wrote mine out, but I, I know what they are. Don't also, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was one of my um, audible mentions. I just don't know why I skipped over it. I guess we talked about it already at some length. Okay, yeah, fair enough. All right, so my next one on my list because I'm number still four. number four, The Last Guardian. Oh wow! And I was so glad. Surprising. I was so glad to see it on at least the honorable mentions from uh, Ryan. Very simple reason: I like the Ueda games. I think they're all very touching. And at the end of the day, they do what another game that you've heard me not shut up about, but also a last gen game. They do a lot that I think very touches into what Near does. Okay, I was like, well, what a game is it then? And where it's more about existing kind of in this time and even if the game isn't perfect everything that makes up the game and the characters and the interactions and these little special moments that seem almost insert like i don't i don't know how to, they seem like you're hitting insurmountable odds and then even though it's not always what you'd expect or the happy ending or whatever it just sits on your heart in such a weirdly heavy way where i don't often cry in games and i didn't cry for the last guardian at the very end uh, well not actually the very end but very close to the very end but it's a, it's something that comes back and it kind of just hits you with like a, ooh, ouch. Yeah. And it's such a strong moment. So I, I do think at this point I can spoil it, but it's not going to be a huge spoiler. It's just a really great moment that I think when you get there, you'll feel it. And there's nothing I can really say or do to take away from it. You go through this whole game with Trico and for the most part, it's a silent game. It's a lot like Shadow and a lot like Ico. And actually, it's more like Ico in the regard of there's not a lot said, nor does there need to be, because the game pushes you into these situations to where you build a relationship without ever having to say anything. A good example for Shadow of the Colossus is I think most people would say by the end of the game, you love aggro. You don't ever yeah. do anything besides call aggro and ride around with him. But he's your partner. But by nature of him being the only other person there with you, you get this, you, you join together and you're overcoming these odds together and he's a big part of that. So he is like the Ellie or the Atreus yeah. for that game without you ever having to actually say a word to him other than aggro. Because he's, <laughs> yeah, he's always there for you. Yeah, he's a great character and I think that that's what happens here. You know, it, you have that in Shadow. You have, uh, oh Lord, how am I forgetting your name? Yorna, whatever it is in Ico. Yorna? Isn't it Yorna? Something like that. But in Ico, you have her, and she's a mostly you know she's a silent protagonist, and you're going through, and you fall for her because she's in a way she's the Ashley from Resident Evil Four, to where she doesn't really ever help you, but you end up growing as you try to protect her. You end up caring for her more. I mean, you don't really care for Ashley all that much in Resident Evil Four, in my opinion. But no, you don't. <laughs> it's just she's a similar gameplay aspect, but the story ends up playing out differently. But how Last Guardian does it, you know, you spend this whole game with Trico, and what's cool about Trico is that you actually do a lot more interacting with him. Unlike in Shadow, where Aggro's just around and you ride on him, and this it's more like, well, you can ride on him and do different things, but this is the thing that is either going to annoy the hell out of you, or as the game continues on, you're going to grow to love. It's kind of like when you get an animal, and they're kind of a dick, but you still kind of find out like, you're like, okay, I still like you. You're still cute. I chose you. I'm going to be responsible for you. But then as time goes on and you two get to know each other more, you get to this point where you start to be like cool with each other. And then by the end of it all, you kind of look at this little animal and you're like, how do I ever live without you? Yeah. 
And that's exactly what this game brings to the screen and to the controller for you to have these moments going through and only having you and Trico as the, you know, to overcome all these odds. And by the time you get to the end, there's a part where there's these mind control devices that are controlling some other Trico's that are coming around and you see that they're in this thing and yours is kind of trying to protect you because it's been able to break free from it. And you end all this stuff. You climb up and you go and you finally overlook this valley that you started at the bottom of. And it's like, and it's, it's almost like if you were standing at the top of the Grand Canyon, you look down into the valley, that's where everything's at. And you're at a, you're at the top of a tower, which is just barely over that ridge, like that little ridge. Hmm. And, the sun's kind of shining. It, the game's really exposed there, as a lot of Japanese games do in those yeah. moments. And as you're sitting there kind of looking, you have this moment where it's just you and Trico up there, and he just kind of walks out and sits down, and he's just looking out into the sunlight, real beat up from everything that's happened. You've gone through all this stuff, and you go out there, and you kind of just sit with him before you finally take this moment where it's like, I've got to leave. I've got to do this. And then the ending plays out, and it's it's just really... It's another one of those games where it's not a happy ending. It's not really meant to be, but it's also not a sad ending. Yeah. It's right there in that middle where it's like some things that I w- hoped would happen happened and other things didn't. <laughs> but it's it's a very touching experience. And if, if anything, it's so unique that I don't think you'll have played anything else like this this entire generation. Big claims. You still haven't played it. And I understand uh, no, why. Uh, I tried. I understand why. I think you should maybe try that again you know, on PS5 you know, if you found the time. You know, Donkey uh, threw a controller through his wall because of that game. <laughs> I still, I'm genuinely surprised I didn't have any issues. I don't understand. Well, you it. know, you know, he, every now and then he just does stuff to mess with the game intentionally for yes. fun, for fun yes. stuff. Well, I remember the big thing about the Last Guardian is I was playing on Pro and you were still at that point playing on original PlayStation and when I kept, you borrowed it. it. Yeah, you get the mirror thing off the wall at the very beginning, and, and it, it would crash for every you. time. And you also just had general frame rate problems that I wasn't having frame rate issues and um, now, like stutter, like like almost like I had with my with my hard drive before I fixed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, next one up, and I'm I'm going to uh, safely assume I hope that this is on both of our list. Bloodborne. You would assume correct. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Now I don't know where Bloodborne's at on yours, but I'll say this: True. if it's if it's your number one, we can skip talking about it for now. If it's not your number one, well, why would we skip talking about it even about number two? Okay. It's going to be you talking about it because. It's your, it's, it's your, yeah, but we should be talking about games that are on both of our lists together. I think, well, not if they fall at different points. All right. Well, obviously mine falls with Bloodborne and I've talked about Bloodborne at great lengths before. <laughs> Me too. Now it, this is your, I'm hoping soapbox it, to hey, explain why it's your part of your game of the generation. So Dark Souls was not as pulling towards me uh, and nor was Dark Souls 2 as dark as demon souls was on ps3 when i loved and played it i liked dark souls i really enjoyed it but i like demon souls more and i'm not I and mean, this is nothing dark souls is a great game but it had dark souls didn't quite pull me in the same way and then dark souls 2 from what i did play of it just took me completely out of souls games and i was kind of over them for a while and dark souls 2 was a ps2 game, ps3 game and then whenever bloodborne kind of hit first of all when it was announced i was excited and i was a little surprised and then whenever I started playing the game, like I mentioned the other day, I think there's a lot of things about Bloodborne that are similar to Demon's Souls in some ways. 
And I don't know why I got that vibe, and then I started playing, and I had a lot of fun in that opening area, and it reminded me of the first time that I played Demon Souls, and I spent a lot of time in that front castle area of yeah, Volteria. just grinding. When you're just kind of grinding and coming to terms with the mechanics and figuring out what's going on before you finally fight the first real boss. Yeah. And now Bloodborne has that thing a lot like this, too, where you, you're in an area, you go through, and you fight a fake boss that's always really meant to kill you, but you can kill it. Bloodborne has that exact thing. And then from there, it opens up into where you're actually going to explore. But I didn't get that vibe from Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, or Dark Souls 3. I don't know why. Dark Souls 3, I felt like the way that it opened was really quick. And it didn't even have the tutorial boss in the same sense that it's meant to kill you. Like oh, you have it to, was. It's meant to kill you, but you have to beat Idex Gundir to continue. That's true. I think and that's that, different in comparison to both of the other games. Well, and what's weird about Dark Souls 2 is there was no tutorial boss. Exactly. But technically, yeah, you're you're right. Dark Souls Three had a tutorial boss, but it was uh, you had to beat it. Yeah, it was like this is the this is the get good moment. Like this is what this is the get what the game is about, and you got to progress. Yeah, but besides that, I think generally the mystery because since Dark Souls borrowed a lot off of Demon Souls, it didn't feel as original anymore. So it was like, well, Dark Souls is still just kind of a permeation and a change on Demon Souls to where they couldn't make another Demon Souls. So they just took the idea and changed it a little bit and went forward. And that was cool, but it felt like, oh, this has been done now. And there's nothing like the first time that something's good. Like, I have a feeling that the Nord aspects, the Nordic uh, you know, aspects of God of War are going to feel a little less special in God of War 2 because we've already done them. Yeah. And it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't take away anything. It's just now it's not fresh. Yeah, and that's where, that's where Bloodborne comes into play of being so original you know, and so much... Th- that game does. And you know, because I talk about the order and I loved it about vampire as well. I'm a big sucker for Victorian era, London style architecture. Yeah. And that is most of bloodborne. Yeah. It's, it's one of those that like, uh, well, it's always, I don't, I have a feeling that there's something going to happen with that game and people who haven't played it, but are listening are going to go back. So I don't want to say what it is, but there's something that happens and I've always described the spoiler as this, or this, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, this is no spoilers. But at about the halfway mark, there's something that happens in that game where you realize, oh, that was the veil on what this world really is, and now I see it for what it really is. And it did something where something's always there, something's always looting, and you now see it because you have now gained enough insight into this world to be able to comprehend it. And it's one of those shocking things that like, I, I'll never forget. I was running down cathedral ward from the grand cathedral area where you yeah. fight, uh, Amelia. And I remember stopping at the bottom of the staircase. That's like right before you go into the, the door of cathedral ward. And I stopped, and I stared and I, like I sit there for like a minute and I'll turn my game off. Like it was like 3 AM. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? No, don't know what this is now. All of a sudden, this is not the same game, and I, I got so spooked and like I, it was genuine, like not terror, but it was like unease, and I was like, I can't do this. Well, it's exactly what the game is meant to be, right? It's it, that it, it is. It's that eldritch horror where all of that cult stuff is all about. The more that you become attuned with what the world is, the more that you see the world for what it really is. That's what that hell, that's what that horror is supposed to be, and it, the unease is supposed to come from. This has always been around and always been lurking. Yeah. And yet I've never known. And there's that feeling of like, 
I've been watched my entire life almost is what it feels like. And, yeah. and it's like you defeat Rom, which is the veil. I don't know if a lot of people got that, uh, but the reason there's a change at that point when you defeat Rom, the vacuous spiders, because that is a, an anchor holding the two worlds apart. And then when you defeat that, the veil is lifted. I love the way you go into the Rom fights. Here. Yes. It's like you're, you're breaking through the, the, the lake the at Virginworth. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're breaking through the veil of the world. It's yeah. I'm telling you right now, if you never have played Bloodborne, Go play Bloodborne. It's going to be a challenge, but you got to get through it. Like this is the classical way of just saying get good. But what I really mean is, there is a special novelty to these games of when you learn how it works and everything just clicks, that it becomes that much more satisfying to play. And it's one of the reasons why it and Dark Souls Three is on my list. But we'll get into that here in a little bit. Sure. All right, last one, and I've been struggling with this this whole time. I've been struggling with it since I put them both on the list because I knew I would. Okay. I'm going to have to follow my gut here. Okay. I know what this is going to be. I'm a little surprised. Nier Automata is going to be my runner-up. Okay. I'm actually really surprised. Now, now, now I'm trying to figure out. Oh, I know what it is. It, okay. That's easy. But I can't even see your computer screen from here because how bad my eyes are. It's fine. Nier Automata is going to take the runner-up spot, even though it's such a close second that... Honestly, most of my reasonings for my actual winner and things I say and how much importance I put behind it is equally true of Nier Automata. So Nier Automata is a game that I think is on your list. It is. I'm glad it's on your list because I had to nudge you into playing it, I feel like. No, well, I mean, the game itself, it did the same thing with Bloodborne. And it's it's a lesson that I learned throughout this generation is that it didn't click with me the first, like, four hours. Until it just finally clicked. And, like, I don't know what it was, but something just clicked. And Bloodborne was the exact same way. Yeah. I remember I took a vacation off to play Bloodborne. And, like, the day I was playing it, I was like, this is not as good as I thought it would be. And yeah. I didn't play it for, like, a day or two. Then I came back and it clicked. And that's what Nier Automata, coincidentally, both of those games, that's what that had to happen for them. It was like they had to click. Yeah. And when they did, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, Nier Automata is the perfect example of... I'm I'm still a big sucker just because I like the basic... It, it's, I won't say it's overdone, but you know when you're playing a Yoko Taro game at this point, it's going to be this way. Yeah. You don't always know exactly how. So one of the things I loved about this game is that they still brought back the alphabetical endings, you know, ending A, B, C, D, all those. Uh, this one took it to the max and actually gave you an ending oh, for every Z, letter of the alphabet. To Z, yeah. Which was cool, but the only ones that really matter are A through E. Through e. If you get any other one, it's not the end of the game. Keep playing. It's it's they call them joke endings because that's what they are, and I like it because sometimes you go in a game when you're playing, you're like, so the game tells me I'm supposed to do this, but what if I just walk the other way? So and there's literally a fell screen where the game says go do this, and if you just run the other way, yeah, it ends the game because it's like okay, you don't want to do it, so this is the end. Um, I, I I mentioned like a month ago that I replayed through this game for this awards and for these awards and there's a part where they give you a trout and it's like, eat this trout. It may not be healthy for you, but you're a robot. So you might be okay. And I ate it. I died. And like, it was just like, <laughs> that was ending W. And then like ending K is taking out your like life chip. It's like you, you have a chip yes. system in the game that you can customize abilities with. And there's one that's called like the life, like a uh, CPU life or something like that. You take it out, you die. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think that one of the big things too is not only does it tell a fantastic story, it's also got top-notch gameplay, super fun, and then not only in the gameplay, the systems that go behind that to really bring in the RPG elements of you being able to slot your own systems in and how you want to min-max your build based off of how much you're going to allow certain chips to come into play. 
I think it gives you a lot of variation to where if you want to really rely on dodging, because that's the way you prefer to play, you can. If you want to rely on blocking, you can block. If you want to get all of that out and just be the guy who comes in and just is super heavy with attacks, you can do a lot of stuff to build your attack up. I love that it feels kind of like the way that a Dark Souls game starts, where it's, hey, you're going to have a class that's built to kind of do something, but instead of it being a class in this that you're automatically starting with, instead, as you go through the game, you just choose what you want to do, and you're building your own classes on the fly, And basically. It's done in a really cool concept because it's like you got a chip, and you take these chips out, and you plug them in because you're a robot. Yeah. And and I love that too because it makes more sense as to why you're suddenly better at something. It's right. Like, well, she is ultimately a robot. That's true. So I love that basic thing. The gameplay again is top notch, and all that back end stuff is. But if I'm being honest as to why it's top of my list, it's because it's everything to me that the original Nier was. I still struggle as to whether I find the original Nier or Automata. I don't even want to say better. Which one do I like more? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, because of the story elements of them. But when it comes to gameplay, Nier Automata did everything that Nier did, but with perfect gameplay. Whereas Nier had passable gameplay that was plenty fun to me, but it wasn't really the star of the show. Whereas, of course, the story is the star of the show in Automata, but if someone was like, also the gameplay absolutely fucking bangs, you'd be like, okay, cool. So I love that aspect of it, but ultimately it's the story. Go through, and I tell everybody, when you get to ending A and it says, you know, every ending will have a note and a letter. And then the letter of the ending you got is in brackets. Right. So you'll see like, it won't be the end, but it'll say something like, uh, go on to uh, go on forward. And then the A and forward will be in brackets. And yeah. that's how you know that you had the A ending. And then the old Yoko games were more about like, you're not going to change much within the game, but we're going to go back and kind of give you okay i'm gonna say that completely he's done both he's done it to where the original near it was you're gonna replay the game but you're gonna have a new layer of you know perspective and then the ending is gonna be the thing that actually changes then you have things like drake and guard three where every time that you play through you get completely new content yeah and that's more of what the route this took so going through to ending e i think is really personal really touching and i think that where all of the games on my list for the most part excel is just exceptional characters. And Nier Automata has got some of the most memorable characters, I think, in any series ever. I think that the actual main characters and the voice actors and the performances they give behind them are exceptional. I think when you go through and look at who the villains are, I you know, I think the villains are interesting in the way that they're built up, but there's really not the villain that you think throughout a lot of the game. And just going through and playing it is a touching experience that I always have to restrain myself from saying too much because my actual answer as to why you should play it is that you need to go and see for yourself. Yeah, and I think that that's important. And I think that if you go into this game after your first playthrough and you're like, I don't really want to do this again because it's I don't want to do the same stuff. It's not. I know Brett touched on that briefly, but it's not. It's, yeah. it's something else. It becomes a different game. Go play this game and play it. <laughs> Through till ending E, uh, ending six. So do a quick recap for us. Five, four, three, and two. Dishonored two, The Last Guardian, Bloodborne, and Nier Automata. Gotcha. So we'll go into mine. Number five, God of War. Okay. I've said before, like, it's good. It, it, it turned a series on its head and still came out with a fantastic story, fantastic character development, fantastic character relationships. It was emotional 
And the gameplay was really, really good. It may have had some pacing problems where I was kind of just like, you know, let's hurry this up. But at the same time, in the grand scheme of the game, and I think I said this in our impressions episode, or even for our game of the year episode back in what, 2017, I guess? 2018. 2018. Um, at the grand scheme of things, it was such a good game that that doesn't really matter like to me. Like it, It's overlooked by everything else. And I was always a, a fan of God of War, but not like a hardcore mega fan. I liked God of War 1, and I played God of War 2, and I liked them as I played them. But it was kind of just like, I, I, you know, when I heard Kratos' voice, I was excited. And that told me, I was like, if I'm excited, I can only imagine how you were excited, because <laughs> you were the mega fan. Yeah. Um, but playing through that game, having like the very first boss fight with, Bal- um, why can't I think of his name? Balthier? No. Balder. Balder, Balder is a Final Fantasy character. Balder, um, but you know the guy with the gate. Yeah, no, Balder's gate. <laughs> Balder's gate three is out now. Go buy on Steam. Use Balder's gate three discount, is out for early access. Use discount code SQRD. Um, it's not Dark Alliance though. Maybe one day. Just listen. Balder's gate three looks good. Um, it does. But yeah, overall, like as a game that I can completely and fully enjoy, and I think that what it does the best is that I felt finished afterwards i didn't feel a need to get the platinum i didn't feel the need to replay it i felt like it was a total story in a total circle of 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 a of a cycle that just kept going until it was done and then when it was done it felt fulfilled uh so it was number five number four dark souls three okay so we're getting up with so dark souls three being number four should throw you it's a little far off the list here was my point of not knowing i had a feeling a strong one that dark souls three and bloodborne were on your list what i could not you're only half right surprisingly oh really really well anyways dark souls three we'll get into this dark souls three is one of those games that i have spent so many hours playing so many times playing through the game the stories are great the building, I think the best thing about Dark Souls 3 is the gameplay itself and being able to play in so many different ways that it always feels fresh when you go back there and play. And unlike God of War, God of War 3 is the exact opposite where God of War 3, you want to replay again because you have different items in the next playthrough. You have more items in New Game Plus. The bosses are harder. You get to change your build around. And I think for me, it's one of those that like there's there's if there's a gameplay cycle that's engaging and I fall into that cycle, it will be one of my favorite games. And I, I say that about a lot of stuff, but like Slay the Spire, Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, all these games, if it's a cycle of gameplay and the gameplay is fresh, I will always be interested. I yeah. will never be distracted. Well, that was a big reason Dead Cells was big for me. Yeah. Because it was kind of forced you. Hollow Knight, Dead yeah. Cells, you know, all these other like 2D Metroidvania games. It's it's there's no, it's distraction free gaming. And, I, I think curious. what I liked about Dead Cells a lot in comparison. I mean, I mean, I loved that aspect in all these other games too. But I think that Dead Cells was fun to me, even though it's ultimately a different game because that roguelike element you always have to choose something different you might get lucky and get the same weapon that you really liked the time before but it's it's luck of the draw and if you're gonna go forward on that run you've got to go with whatever item they give you to begin with that's true Whereas dark souls 3 if you know i know partially how i am since i'm a little less like that with those games since dead cells forced me to i was into it Mm -hmm. in dark souls even like demon souls i started with the same class i originally played with because something in me is like i just play what you already know and like and just play the game whereas you're right really those games have so many different variations that it feels different but you but you almost well based off how you choose up front because also what's true of those games is you can make pretty much any class later in the game as you please 
Uh, yeah, you have to be really good at that game for that. Though. Sure. Like you can't turn like you can't have a knight that hits like forty index and forty in strength and turn it into a faith build yeah. late game because if you do, you have to grind over and over and over again. But uh, it is like possible. Games. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's you'll see what I you'll see my the perfect example of this like when you restart Demon Souls and you do Royalist. Uh, or loyalist, what is it called? Royal, royal, yeah. um, because it's it requires you to do different things, and that's what I love about like Dark Souls three and Bloodborne is that there's like a weapon I want, but I have to kind of take a shortcut to go get it, like the Crescent Falchion in Shrine of Storms. You kind of have to play different. You're going to places at a different time, and then you do all this a certain order, and you fulfill a power fantasy. You come back, and you're just OP, and you <laughs> yeah. just blow everything away, and that and that's something that all those games does amazingly well so number four dark souls three take a guess what number three is because i i want to see your shocked face you may be shocked i don't know this is hard there's so many games that i thought would have been on this list that you're now making me double think yeah because of your honorable mentions to begin with and then with the fact that you said i was half right so torn i'm really torn I don't even know if I can adequately guess anything. Number three is Death Stranding. Wild. Yeah. I Not, okay, I shouldn't say wild. Surprising. Number, okay. But, but I get it. So Death Stranding for me fulfilled something that it, it's almost nostalgic, even though it's only a year old game at this point. But it was fun because... It was the week of Thanksgiving. I had all this free time. So I was like, let's play Death Stranding. And one of the best things about Death Stranding is that every time you go from point A to point B, it's a plan. You have to think, like, I have to drink these three energy drinks. I have to make this trip. I have to look at my map. I need to know where to watch out for for enemies. And most importantly, people say, say like, it's a, it's a walking simulator. But they don't realize that the fun part of the game is in the walking. Like, it is a... It, it is a fun aspect of that game for me to walk from this long distance and plan my motorcycle batteries from this long distance and to be fully interactive while you're doing so. It's not one of those games where you're just holding forward on the joystick. You are you are constantly having to rebalance yourself and to re like to, to walk around stuff and to watch out where you're going and to jump up stuff. And it is it, it has such a unique feature in that game with the way that, that the system worked in which all these other players are adding items to this world. And sometimes I will go to a place and I had to like climb up this rock wall kind of in like kind of hardly like it was, it was, it was rough. And then like the last time I went there, I was like, there's a rope here now. Like somebody was smart and kind enough to leave a rope and it made it so much easy to get up there. And I think that that something that game did really, really well was not only the gameplay, but the story was phenomenal. It was something that, like Bloodborne, when it first came out, me and Brett were sitting here talking about of like, how far are you? Where'd you get? Yeah. What do you think this is going to be? <laughs> who, who do you think he is? Like, it's one of those things that, like, no matter what, we were talking about this game in a very mysterious way because the story was handled so well. And it was exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. And, and, you know, Troy Baker, man, hats off to him because he played one of the coolest bad guys this generation to me in that character. Yeah. He was a super cool bad guy with super cool powers. Like, the style of that game. I'm a little was, tired of Troy Baker as the bad I, guy, to be I honest. Am, I'm, I'm kind of tired of Troy Baker in general, to be honest. Yeah. Let's get some new talent. But, yeah. but for what he did for that character and the designs of that game, it's just, it's amazing. And I loved every character in that game. Um, 
it's just fantastic. All the actors in that game did such a good job between Norman Reedus, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. I can't even say his name now. They're saying Guillermo. But, um, you know, and then you had, um, oh, what's her name? She played Mama. Um, oh, yeah, I don't remember the actress's name. She's a fantastic actress, though. And yeah. then it was just such a good game. And I recommend it to anybody. And some people may think, like, it's just a walking simulator. Well, go into it within your mind of, like, this is going to be an adventure that you have to plan. And you're not just going to be holding forward on the stick. There's going to be combat encounters. There's going to be stealth encounters. And the first part of that game, like almost every great story of this game, is slow. You know, that's true. I think almost every game that I've walked away from and been like, wow, was surprisingly slow. Yeah. Um, and that's not the worst thing, but it can. It does have the problem, like I said, with Red Dead, where it can potentially pull you out of the game before the game would otherwise have you in its grips. Yeah. But on, De- on Death Stranding, real quick. I do. You know I love that game. I really did. And I was even surprised with how much I loved it. But one thing I thought was kind of an interesting aspect of it was that whenever you're playing, I, I too love the idea of making something that's normally in games just push forward and walk more actually challenging. Like, okay, well, you're going you're gonna to walk, but you're going to walk in a way where you have to be balanced. And the more and more stuff that you try and put on you to try and be the most efficient that you can, the harder it's going to become to walk. And I did love that. But one of the things I thought was kind of, I don't, I don't think it was intended to do so. And I like, I like it for the most part, but it's a little bit like, I think overhanded. There's a little too much opportunity for it to help you. Is that the ultimate strand part of the game where it's all about players leaving stuff behind I think that it actually takes away from that novelty in some of the harder areas, and it gets to be to a point where when you start coming up on roads, you're because you've been playing and, and struggling in a way that I also agree is fun with that, it's still you get that thing in your brain of like, oh, a road and a motorcycle. I can take a slight break. Yeah. But it gets to a point in the game where depending on how you're playing and depending on how the different, I guess, instances of the servers would come through, I would find myself in areas where I almost didn't have to try. And I was like... I almost wonder if it would have been a lot harder to get to Die Hardman's um, awesome character, by the way. Or not Die Hardman's. I'm sorry. Um, Die Hardman. No, no, no. What are you talking about? I'm going to make sure it might be Die Hardman. I'm wanting to make sure. No, that's what I thought. Die Hardman's who I'm thinking. Uh, so it's not him. It's the doctor. And I'm I'm failing. Oh crap! On his I name. thought that was Die, Die Hardman. Uh, Die Hardman's it's Hartman. A, it's it's Hart- Hartman. That's Hartman. right. Hartman. Yeah. Hartman, yeah, Death Stranding. You're right. Because um, there was Die Hardman and then Hartman. Hartman, and he's always giving you like the thumbs up and stuff, yes. which is so, the likes. I loved, I loved him, but getting to in getting to that part of the story is really cool. Also, his story was Amazing. so good. But the aspect of the game, and it, I think that's what makes it, it's a, it's a problem that could be unique to me that you didn't have, but other people could have had my same thing, where you get there, and there were almost zip lines to his entire place never had that issue but there was the, like two things interestingly like, enough when i was leaving his place and needed to go back they had all degraded which brings me so i'll finish this point before i go into that but i love that that they thought that through but then they gave a little bit too much into making it easier 
by letting people do that, but only because I think that if it was still all there, but it was a little more hit or miss, like the fact that you could go to a base and then and someone could have at the base left you a motorcycle, you didn't even have to try to build one. I think it would have been more cool if like they could be a little bit out and about, but it kind of got to the point where if you showed up at a base and you got lucky with your server role, you'd have a motorcycle and a road entirely to where you were going. I never was that lucky. The moments of the game that were probably the most fun is when you're doing a mixture of walking, a mixture of riding, and a mixture of helping your fellow players out by being like, I'm going to complete this part of the road because I just decided I'm going to do it. Yeah. Somebody else did that stretch of the road and they helped me a lot. I'm going to come here. I'm going to stay in this area and struggle to get these items so that I can come back here and finish this road. So the next person has a little bit further. They can go along without me. Or if the first road goes away because of degradation, then they have a road to go through. So they're helped just as much as I was. And I love that aspect of the game, but that was the only thing about the game that, it was like a, it wasn't a love hate, but it was like a. Sometimes it was really cool, and then sometimes like it's a little. Now it's making the game a little too easy. Luckily for me, I think that it was it was only frustrating on my end with the strand system, was that I would have so much ease getting some to some places, then it would just cut off to me driving, which I was fine with. But then there was parts and when like. There's a couple of, like, especially towards the end, there's like two missions where you have to end in like a rush back to somewhere. Yes. And I had, it was not there. I was just like, <laughs> I was so used to it at first. And now I got to drive my bike there halfway, walk where, like run there the next. Yeah. And then stop by this base, grab somebody else's bike. Like, I, it really worked out in the favor of my game. Uh, and honestly, I think that that game would be fine just to turn that off, just to go offline and just to play that game without any of it. I and think do so it yourself. Too. Well, because you can do it yourself I think, offline. I think you're right. I think you're right, but I think you're missing a huge part of the game that was clearly designed and intended to yeah, be. You that. are. You are, but at the same time, that, the, just in the, case the if you're online unlucky. part plays so much into the story, though. It does. And it does it in such a good way. About like, being connected and all those things. It's just that the sad part is, is that occasionally... I think you get a server instance role where you're just too lucky. Yeah. And it can take you out of the moment. But what I was talking about with the degradation, that leads me into probably my favorite thing about the entire game in that... These systems in that game are so consistent with everything and they're so well thought out that the world and what he decided to set up is like, okay, we have this thing called, like this is just a, a, one example, but you can see how many times it goes through and they think about it. Time falls in the game. Yeah. Time falls is a big reason as to why the world is the way it is. All right? You look at the world and some people go, why does all of America look like mostly mossy rocks and rivers? And at first you think, well, that's not realistic. But then you get to the few parts of the area where time fall as a, like, you know, for uh, forecast, like weather forecast is not very common. Yeah. So you actually do start to occasionally see trees. Buildings and, and stuff and, too. And, and stuff. But what I like about that is if you look, it's like, okay, time fall exists. At the very beginning of the game, they set it up. It hits his hair and immediately turns it white. It yeah. hits a part of his skin and it kind of like wrinkles for a second. And then the whole hits fragile the picture. character. Yeah. And then, you know, fragile. So when you go through though. And you're going through every bit of that. The game constantly keeps that level of immersion up because then you keep going. You're like, ah, oh, someone built me a ladder. You come back, the ladder's gone. Well, why? Well, either, you're, either your instance changed or time fall has degraded this item to where it can't be forever. Yeah. Nothing can be forever in this world, you know, without a lot of work. Right. And even then, something has to Which constantly is go around. so clever that, like, if I join a game or a server instance or whatever this game, everything's built up, it won't be like that forever. No. And I can guarantee you the people who did all that probably are not playing this game a year after launch. And yeah. It's probably not going to be that way. Yeah. So it's special in a, in, a way, in a way. Well, and it also leads to, like, the game having a little bit of a zeitgeist behind it. Because if you're not playing when a lot of other people are playing, you might miss out on a big part of what the game is meant to convey to you, which is that sense of connection that you have with every other player. Player. True, but I, I think there are items in the game, like certain items that do not have time fall degradation. 
You might be right, I but think a like lot ropes of ropes and stuff don't. So, like, if you place a rope, I think a rope will always be there. Are you sure? I might be wrong, but there, I, I do remember there is something that if it doesn't have max like a time fall degradation, um, sensitivity or whatever, it, there's something there that can stay. I just can't remember what it is. And it well, might be bases. Time fall continuing to play into the game though is such a cool thing. And just going a little further on that, just to drive my point home, the fact that time fall. It makes sense for why everything's mossy because what's the only thing that can grow? It has to have a short turnaround lifespan. Grass. So grass, flowers, and you occasionally will see flowers come up. And I also love the opening intro where you see like the flowers wilting and then kind of like just yeah, constantly it's like coming a time back lapse. To life. It was really cool to see that. But one of my favorite parts of the game and every bit of it, because I just thought whenever I first came to it and I saw what it was, I was like, are these, is this like a wheat field or are these hops or what? And you're coming up to the brewery. And then you pull in, and it's like, oh, well, they have a weather forecast. They know when it's going to rain, and that means they know exactly how to time it so that this wheat that's freshly planted can get a little bit of rain. They can kind of control how much rain hits it so that it can mature, and then they can suddenly do things like grow beer or make beer from quickly you know, matured hops, and then they can probably even make it ferment quicker and stuff and all that thing. I love the idea of like, well, not only does it affect the world in negative ways, it affects the world in positive ways because humans have dealt with it long enough that they understand how to benefit themselves with it. And it makes a world that's so believably consistent from start to finish. And that's yeah. just a single example that it was really cool because there are games that 100% fail to do that. Right. They don't take their own magic into it, which is, you know, or not even magic. I mean, you can say it about anything. It can be magic. It can be mechanic system. Like one of the things I hate in games is when a mechanic is introduced in a cutscene, but then it's nowhere in the game. It's like, why do you have that there? And it's so cool, but I can't do it as soon as I'm back to playing the games. Like you already set up that this is possible in this world. True. Now it's a shame that I can't do it. I don't think that Death Stranding has very many of those opportunities. And if it is, it's something that's specific about a character like Hartman, yeah. where it's like, oh, well, you can't do that because it's specific to his story and something that happens. Well, he's only him. alive every two minutes or whatever. Exactly. So you have that thing. So it's like, well, okay, I can't do that, which makes sense because something specific happened to him that pulled in between this. That's a cool setup. I, you know, I almost think Excuse Death Stranding me. should have been an honorable mention for me because, and I, I did think about it. Yeah, I almost put it in my honorable mentions because I love that game. I thought it was after Metal Gear Solid Five disappointed me personally, not because I think it's a bad game. It's not what I wanted from a Metal Gear Solid game. That's all it was, right? Uh, but I was a little worried that maybe Kojima has stopped being somebody that made games that talked to me. However, may have, however it may have been, kind of like how uh, Grand Theft Auto at some point in time in my life just stopped being for me. I'm glad to see that it wasn't. Yeah. I'm and surprised it made your list, though. That's cool. It, yeah, it made it above uh, Dark Souls 3 as well. So, number two, Near Automata. Ooh. So, this is going to get spicy. Um, I honestly think it would have been number one if I didn't replay it recently. Because something that's magical about that game, I think, is the first time you play it. Mm. And I think that that holds such high regards that... Between the soundtrack, the story changes, the gameplay changes, everything else in the world about that game, I think it's important that when you experience it, it's it's everlasting on you, and it just can't be captured in, again, that same sense. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I am about to replay it, but originally my intention was to replay it a year after it came out. Yeah. And then when I started thinking about it, I had this feeling inside of me, I was like, but if I go back to it, I know it'll still be great. 
But will it be as great as the version of it in my in my head currently? It is? won't be, and I think that's. I, I think it will live up to what you know what it is, but it won't live up to the first time you played it. Yeah, and I think that that there was, and, and that's not to say anything bad about it, but I think that that just shows you that that game has an impact on you from the get go. And I think Death Stranding will be very much the same. Yeah, your first experience of that game will never be topped. I don't think I can play that game again. I I want to play that game again. I think I'm gonna make it an every two year game. If not, I might play it around Christmas break this year. Uh, okay, or I say Christmas break, but my Christmas vacation. Um, but it's kind of like TV shows where you feel like, or anything really, any story where you experience it and you go, it's so, it has such a, a profound effect on me, such an everlasting effect that by replaying it, it can naturally never be the same. Does that potentially hurt your thing on it? I don't like, think it potentially hurts it, but I think that it does. It makes it, it makes it worse on you in a way because you want to capture that magic again, but you well, can't. See, I think games are harder because games age in a way that TV shows don't age as quickly. And I'm not saying the Automata is a good example of this. I still think that most of its mechanics and what it does holds up. But a good example is the original Nier. In a lot of ways, there's a lot of things about the original Nier that have aged worse. Having, you know, dipped in and played it recently. Drake and Guard 3, a game that came out in 2013, 14, 14. That's a game that has some very aged elements. They were aged when it even came out, but even worse aged now. But can you think of TV shows that came out from 2008 that haven't aged a bit? They're just as good as they were because the technology behind them is so different and the industry behind them changes not nearly as quickly or as often. The iteration is not so quick that games can suddenly be outdated and feel more dated even though you can still enjoy them five to ten years down the road, whereas I think movies for us start to feel dated when you start getting to like early 2000s and back. Then you start being like, ah, bad CGI dates you quickly. Yeah. Ah, weird things that were going on with, you know, trans, you know, converting from being shooting in 4.3 to shooting in 16.9. Those things can catch on you a lot quicker than I think. Or those things take longer to be seen and affect things so movies and TV shows are affected at a different rate than games. And that's also why I think game remakes hold up better in people's minds than TV show and movie reboots and remakes. Because of the fact that there are movies that you can watch that are 40 years old that still feel perfectly fine. And they don't feel like they need to be remade. Whereas if you play a game like Demon Souls, you're like, well, this is still good. But there's a lot of really dirty crap here. You can't, like, somebody once said that they want to remake A Christmas Story. It's like, No. And you know what? That, I don't think that, you do. You know, it's timeless. It, it really only, is a timeless movie. Not only that, but that movie does something. I'm about to say my number one, but that movie does something that is very uncommon for a lot of movies to do. That movie was made like what 1986 or 87. That movie, something like that. That movie would have you fooled if you watched it. That that movie was made in the 56, 57. <laughs> yeah, like without a doubt. But it still feels ageless. It somehow. does. Yeah, it feels yeah. like no matter what, you will always be able to watch that movie every Christmas because they put it on every 24 hours. 83, 83. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my number one game mm. this generation. Bloodborne. <laughs> you knew it. <laughs> like, obviously, if you're going to guess it halfway through, I'm going to have to lie and say no, but obviously it's Bloodborne. Um, we've already talked about it at length here, but it's it's one of my favorite horror games of all time. It's one of my favorite action-adventure RPGs. It's one of my favorite... Or it's my favorite Souls-like. And I think, honestly, going back and replaying it recently has taught me... Or not has taught me, but has proved something to me. The fact that you could go back through and play those games, and it may not be as impactful for you as the the first time you play it, Mm -hmm. but it still has impact on you, and it still feels like a a fun journey. Where I'm not saying Nier didn't, but I think that was the cusp of this measurement, was that Nier 
did not feel better or worse playing it the f- for the second time. It just felt like playing it again. Like, but Bloodborne, Bloodborne has always been of like you can go this way. You can go. It's not as yeah. linear. And I think that honestly, like, it's just it has captured my attention much more, even if near has captured my emotions much more and i would even go argue that that that's kind of a, a of an of a still ongoing battle of like near being this emotional joyride where bloodborne was pretty much the same thing just in different emotions yeah. one was horror instead of you know sadness yeah but what is yours i actually i, I don't know the reason because the reason i made you recap this i think i guessed it do you want to guess before I it's say God it? of War? It is God of War. Okay, because I was like, he didn't say God of War in his honorable mentions, and he didn't have it as one through four. And then he, <laughs> but he hasn't said The Last of Us two yet. I think that's because it's too new of a game, right? The Last of Us two is a great game, and yeah. I've said that over and again. And I'll defend some of the parts that I think more people have problems with. And I'm not going to say why they have problems with them. I think people have very valid concerns, and I think there's things you could say. But The Last of Us two had an impact on me. And I think that's a big thing. When a game has an impact on you, it's hard not to think about it. It is too new for me to put in honorable mentions even because I just want to stew on it more. So, yeah, you're kind of right. But I'm still honestly not sure if it's a game of the generation for me anyway. It's a game that had a huge impact on me, and I'll probably remember as part of this generation very strongly. So I think in retrospect, I will end up having it somewhere be it honorable mentions or even if it somehow noses its way up into the actual top five list years down the line or maybe even a year from now. Unsure. But God of War, though, I almost didn't want to do it just so I wouldn't be the same as the community's one because I feel a little <laughs> weird. But if I'm being true to myself, yeah, I know what that you should be. there's a lot of things about God of War and even The Last of Us. Like, you know, I told you replaying the first The Last of Us, I loved that game when it first came out. Absolutely loved it. Playing it again once I had a daughter That's different. is a huge change. God of War, by nature of already being a father while playing it, and that game being so much about this relationship between a father and his kid and all the stuff that goes through there, it, it all means a lot different. And the only difference between God of War is I got that experience the first time around, whereas I kind of rediscovered The Last of Us in a different light. When it was like remastered or whatever. Yeah, whenever I yeah. played it after Kyrie had come through. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things come through after she had birthed into this world. But that being a part of God of war, I think that it's such a, it's a story that while near automata, I think tells a grandiose story that touches on a lot of things that humans go through. The, the, my, one of my favorite things about near automata is that if you really choose to look, or if you already know some things about philosophy and different philosophical attitudes, the game has got a lot of different philosophy references from actual people's names, like Pascal being, uh, you know, somebody and then being the head of the robot village and being a pacifist and the way that they choose to do things. And you have the, uh, John, um, his name is hitting on me, but uh, he's also another philosopher reference. The robot in the game that has the side story where all these different robots love him. Oh, yeah. And have you go and take him notes. And- that's that's not a philosopher, though, isn't that? Isn't that Shakespeare? No, no. no is that, it not? That's a, it's a play on a philosopher. And I can't remember the philosopher's I, I can't remember the name right now. Yeah, that's what's killing me. But. A lot of that's in Nier Automata. It's, it's, Even things like Nier Automata's story where like, you know, you have robots who are, despite being not human, they're falling into human traps of, uh, I shouldn't even say traps because that puts a bad connotation on it. But you see robots falling into some of the problems that we as humans have had where like they bring in religion into their Jean-Paul. lives. Jean-Paul. 
Jean Paul, yeah. Um, they bring religion into their lives, and then you see that religion corrupt them. And regardless of what you believe, I think one of the things that's clearly true throughout history is that we're regardless of whether the people perpetrating these actions actually believed or were just using, you know, the power of religion as their reason to go forward. We know that religion has been responsible for some pretty savage things in our history. Yeah. Uh, so regardless of where you land, it's an interesting part of human history and seeing it play out in this game is great, but it's more of a story that I think is a little bit more humanity wide where it's like, these are things that we all go through. I think we all go through like, you know, what's it mean to be alive? And in a lot of ways, that's great because it does make a game like near automata that goes through these ups and downs of all these different things work for everyone. Right. But I think God of war works for everyone still because everybody can understand a father and a son going through, because even if you, you don't have to do anything besides go, I don't have a son, but I have a cousin that I you grew up with and I love him like a brother or and even like I'm a friend a, or I have a brother or I have a friend that I can't see my you know I, I put him in this role and I think you know if we were going through this what would we do you know it could be anything it could be a stepson which is very much goes into the fatherly role if you're playing the father role I think that you can even put yourself in Atreus's shoes and then look at Kratos more as your father figure and there's a lot of ways that you can pull yourself into that story daddy <laughs> dad of boy um, but. I think that's what gets it for me is it's a little bit more of a grounded story. It's still trapped up. like I said, in all of the grandiosity of the fact that it's like Norse Norse mythology and you're going between these realms and these gates and you're seeing these fairy creatures and this battle going on in this humongous world serpent. Like there's a lot of grandiose stuff in it, but the most touching parts of the entire story are moments that are probably the most humanizing of every bit of it. Yeah. It's that, you know, it's, it's things like seeing him, have to bring himself down from being overly angry at his son, which is, I think, something all parents have to find their balance with of, my kid just made me really upset, and they've done something bad or something that, you know, ended up being a a problem to me, and I'm overreacting. Mm -hmm. And you've got to find your balance and come back down. And, you know, seeing those moments of, like, knowing where you could have just as easily as Kratos overreacted, brought yourself down, and then instead of apologizing, just saying it, you know, calmer and almost with like the, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. (laughs) But that really works. But I'll I'll tell you without spoiling the game, because I still think that God of War sold 20 million copies. That does not mean anything. Go play that game. If you haven't. (laughs) Absolutely. But there's one part that I think hit everyone, but I think it hit longtime fans harder. And I think that's where a big difference between me and Saul is on God of War. I'm glad it made your list. That's really cool. But I think one thing you said is very evident as to why certain parts probably hit me more. You played God of War 1. You played God of War 2. Did you beat God of War 2? No. Okay. So you just you knew of it. You've played it. Right. I played God of War 1. Borrowed it from Devin like two years. On, right, it was like six months before God of War 2 came out. I was blown away. I actually played God of War one, God of War one before you did. Then yeah, and beat did. it before you did. <laughs> I was a poor boy. I had to borrow it from people. <laughs> we rented it from Blockbuster. <laughs> I couldn't even afford to rent. I'm kidding. I mean, I, I really couldn't in 2005 when it came out. But 06 before I played, I could have. So, but well, I, actually, I think Michael Dowdy let me borrow it. Regardless, Devin let me borrow it. Played it, loved it. Played God of War two. Thankfully, I was actually able to get that day one. Didn't think I was going to be able to. Started getting a little bit better off. I got the PSP game because I had a modded PSP. Played Chains of Olympus. Blown away. Absolutely loved it. Couldn't believe they did that on a handheld. And it told a great story with some pretty heartfelt moments that actually kind of remind me of certain scenes from God of War 2018. 
went through, played God of War 3. God of War 3 is still one of my favorite games of all time because I think it's a cool story. And it's also just... I, there's very few games that I think match the scale of God of War 3. It's yeah. a game that when you play, you just feel so epic the entire time. And I know that's what they were going for, and it really works. But it's also very touching at parts. But all those things going through, and then playing Ghost of Sparta, which was the second PSP title from Ready at Dawn, the boys behind the order. Uh, also, the first PSP one was from them. But every bit of that coalescing together, I, there's a moment in the game where there's a boat ride. And that entire boat ride, anybody I think who was intimately super familiar with those games and definitely the ending of God of War 3 had this moment where you almost know exactly what's happening, but you fail to believe, you don't want to believe it. Is it the weapon boat ride? Yeah. I knew what was going on. I know, I know. But I'm saying. I was just like, wait a second. But again, I think that the excitement hit people different when they're like, oh, wow. It hit me pretty hard, too. And then whenever the camera spins around and reveals somebody. Yeah. Every bit of that entire thing, all the way through to outside your house in your front yard. Right. I honestly think that might be one of the top gaming moments of all time for me. I, and you, I know you remember how pissed I was. I'm very... You saw I, it in a thumbnail, I don't like spoilers. No, somebody posted it on Twitter. Oh. I can't remember and, what and it was. And it, it, it was a screenshot of a different area of the game, but they just had it. And I was like, I hate that you would take that moment away from someone because it was like, it was right after I got them and we played that game, you know we got really far early. Well, not only that. So we this were, is like we, three days into this we game We were also out. neck and neck this entire game. We were. I think I think I actually beat it before you did because you actually started on Valkyrie stuff and I didn't do none of that. Yeah. So for me, seeing that on Twitter pissed me off because I was like, you're going to steal that from someone. Yeah. And this is too early to even hint at anything. What are you doing? Yeah. And... I think the reason I felt so strongly about that is because that meant so much more to me as someone who'd gone through games and games and games of every bit that built to this moment. I think, it's a, like I said, it's a strong moment for anybody, partially because of the way the music swells, the way the weather outside's changing on the boat. It's like it's slow and drawn out and lingers, and you're seeing all these different things. It's a great moment. And God of War as a whole is a very touching experience, but if I'm being honest as to what I think puts it at the cream of the crop is that entire scene. I, I thought it's that so was- cool. I thought that was going to be a temporary thing. And I, as it happened, I was like, please let this be the rest of the game. Yeah. And it was. And I was like, because I, I was like, this is going to be like a dream sequence. I know it. I'm going to wake up and then I'm just going to be normal. Yeah. No, it wasn't, though. Yeah. So we have a fun community's take this week. Thanks to our boy, Matt Green. <clears throat> it's actually really clever. What is your favorite PS Plus game of the generation? This could be the one and all. What game did you get off of PS Plus that you loved? And it was your most favorite game off of the generation. Now, this could expand PS Plus through, you know, the past four years or four or five and a half years. But for many, most people could say something like Rocket League or Hollow Knight because it just came out. Yeah. And they played it prior. But let I us- almost want to say Bugsnacks. But PS4 users did not that's, get it. Yeah, it's true. That's not a <laughs> PS4 thing. But uh, you guys, for those that don't know. We thank you all for hopping in, sharing your top five games of the generation, being a part of the show, and we thank you for that. And if you want to join in on that same kind of fun and spend time with us, go check out our Discord in the link uh, below. You can go 
to our Twitter at Triangle. No, it's not Triangle. It's not that anymore. It's just Twitter.com slash Triangle SQRD or our <laughs> Facebook group, which is Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. It's a fun group to be in. I'm not in it because I don't have a Facebook. But um, you can always look out for community takes in those three areas, and you can always hop in them. And we, we can't get to everybody, but we'll try to get to especially newer people we don't see names of often. It gives them that much more interaction with us that they probably wouldn't expect to get if they're watching other YouTube channels. Um, and Favorite part of the show. If yeah. I'm being honest, I, I just love seeing what other people have to say. And and I, I try not to like, I, I go on Twitter once or twice a week and if there's interactions that I can interact in, I'll do it. But if not, I'm just kind of just like, um, what's it called? Like when you're just, um, passive, no, not passive. It's like, um, what do you call? Like when you go through a message board and you, you don't post nothing, you just watch or just read. I don't, there's know. a word for it. That's like, I just, whatever that word is, um, creeping, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I just creep on there. But, um, but if there's something like community state, I actually try not to look at it. I'll try like on Discord I, or on Twitter, since those are the two that I can have access to. On the day of recording, I'll see how many we got just by doing a quick scroll through and looking at them. But I really kind of want to leave the discussion for the show. So be sure, you know, Discord, Twitter, Facebook group, be sure to get active in there and let us know what your game of the generation is on PS Plus. And uh, thank you. Shout out to manscaped.com where if you guys need some cool Christmas present this year or maybe something to better yourself or your boyfriend or your husband or your cousin, you know, tell them to go to manscaped.com or go get it for them as a Christmas gift and use triangle or I always say triangle to code. <laughs> I don't know why. Use discount code SQRD and save you 20% in free shipping. Yep. And most importantly, thank you to our patrons who have kept this show afloat. <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> I mean, more or less. Yeah. Speaking of which, if you uh, our patrons right now, I've put out the uh, post for custom case of the thing. So if you're a five or seven dollar patron, go make sure that you check that out. A lot of the people have already responded, but if you haven't, please go do that. Choose your case so I can get working on those. Also, a new series that we've been doing. Uh, it started with The Last of Us uh, Two, but we we're doing spoiler chats, which I mentioned earlier, which is me and uh, one of our uh, community members, Chris Figs. He also joins me on our weekly movie podcast, Midweek Matinee. But if you want to head over to Patreon, it's also something you get early. We've started another series that we can do that with since it's not so topical. So we do early access for the spoiler chat series a week in advance of everyone else. We recently did The Order, so if you've ever been sitting there and looking and thinking, huh, I wonder what Brett thinks of The Order when he doesn't have to shut up for the show to go on, you can go check it out. <laughs> hey, does Chris listen to the show? Yeah, he does. Hey, Chris. Do a spoiler chat on uh, Slay the Spire. Get get Brett to do it. I know you just want me to play it, but there's already another game he wants me to play that we're working on. I guarantee you, Slay the Spire is better. What is it? I can't tell you. Oh yeah, I guess you because it may not happen. We don't want to. We don't want to. You know, put out false yeah promises. But, but we're, uh, we're working on it. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> all right, thanks guys, and uh, head over to Patreon.com/slash/Nartech for all that if you want to become a patron and get but, your name read out. We like to give shout-outs to our patrons. And our newest one is still Mr. Rich, but we've also got Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Baconbits, Aaron Mc Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and Richard Schaefer. Thank you guys all so much for supporting the show.